0: Black Jack with Griffin and David, Black Jack with Griffin and David, don't
1: know what to say or to expect, all you need to know is that the name of the show is Black Jack.
2: Everybody is somebody else in Citizens Podcast, the movie, Citizens Podcast, the ultimate fantasy, Citizens Podcast, the comedy.
3: That you're reading from the poster.
2: Not only is that the tagline, I'm going to present this to you. That is the entire entire poster. poster just the poster those has words. no graphics. No, it is just that, and then the credit block at the bottom. Well, what's the last embrace poster? Oh well, hold on. I have it queued up. Give me one second, please. I'm a professional. Here we go. It begins with an ancient warning.
3: This is good. This is good stuff. All right, here we go.
2: It ends at the edge of Niagara Falls. Yeah. In between, there are five murders. It'd be funny if they were like in between. Excuse me. Excuse not much. me. Sorry. I'm mid-tagline here. Solve the mystery or die podcasting. (laughs) And then look at this fucking image. Yeah, amazing image. Amazing image. She's falling down the Niagara Falls. Roy Scheider, America's favorite movie star, (laughs) is valiantly grabbing a woman's wrist as she dangles off the side of Niagara Falls. A image that promises a movie full of thrills and spills and that takes one hour and 45 minutes to get to that one image. I like a movie that tells you where the
1: last scene's gonna be. Because right. that is indeed where the last scene occurs. I don't want to get
2: too worked up wondering <laughs> where the movie is. This is almost the very last image of the movie. And there may be two <laughs> shots after I, I want to point something out. This is not an image in
3: the
1: movie. You do see in the trailer, by the way, the last thing that happens in the movie is 100% in the, in the trailer it can be nothing else and that is what it is but it is in there and in that the
3: movie the you just sort of see her go under some water like you know I mean look at this like landscape. yes this is exciting here. this is right, like a Drew right.
2: Struzan-esque painting right mm-hmm. but I yes this is a composite image they didn't of actually throw her down, down
3: the Niagara Falls
2: uh, okay but this action happens yeah exactly. in the last three shots of the film essentially the movie right, wraps the up <laughs> right then <laughs> right 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 it's sort of like Right. The second she's submerged, it goes to credits. Spoiler for the film with a poster that spoils the movie.
3: (laughs) But in the movie, uh, in the poster, you think, oh, he's trying to rescue her. Of course. This uh, might be the cold open. Twist. Twist.
1: It's not a twist. That's the end of the movie. (laughs) And it says it in the thing. The poster even clarifies in the text. Don't get it twisted. This isn't the beginning. This is the end of the film. (laughs) It does take place.
2: They do clarify it. It ends (laughs) at the edge of Niagara Falls, right? That's the inevitable. It all ends at Niagara Falls. Can I point out how effective a sentence is? In between, there are five murders. Five. I love that promise to the audience. Like, where's it going to start? An ancient warning. Where's it going to end? Niagara Falls with the image below. In the middle? Count them, five murders. So after
3: the fifth murder, you're like, all right, I guess
2: they're going to Niagara. Yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> and in fact, there's still about 30 minutes until they get to Niagara. God, yeah. Oof. Yeah. They don't get on, like, the the bus until, like, 15 minutes before they get there. Yeah. Two weird movies we're discussing today. That's right. Two early films from Jonathan Demme. We're in this mid-period. He's out of the Corman slumps. Yeah. But right after this, he sort of starts making— legitimate films and finds his footing, right? Yeah, I uh, would the say the Last Embrace is a legitimate film. But, but the next movie is the first one where it's like, uh, this is a Jonathan Demme movie.
3: Yeah, and the first time he crosses over
2: and gets attention from the Academy Awards, things like that. Well, both of these are studio films. Yes. They are sort of legitimate movies with him working with, like, uh, proven casts. although his Corman movies have proven actors in they them. Do. They do. Um, but after this, I just wanted to double check this stat. After this, only one of his next six films does not get a Oscar nomination or win for performance. Wow. Is that right? true? Uh, sure. Melvin and Howard, Best Supporting Actress, win. Mm. Swing Shift, Best Supporting Actress, nomination. Married to the Mob, Best Supporting Actor, yeah. nomination. That's, true. That's Something's, true. Something Wild weirdly doesn't, doesn't get
3: it. Doesn't, but it got, like, Golden
2: Globe right. nomination. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course— uh, Sounds of the Lamps. Well,
3: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're excluding Swimming to Cambodia, but
2: that's sort His of. His narrative yeah. fiction
3: films I, I understood. And then Sounds of the Lambs Philadelphia, Beloved is actually the next movie to not get Oscar attention. Right. It might have gotten like a costuming nod.
2: But that's a pretty crazy run where he always gets an actor a nomination or a win. A great director of actors. Four wins in a 10 year period. That's pretty crazy. Work with Demi, get yourself a trophy. When, when Tom Hanks uh, won his Oscar for Philadelphia, the last actor to win for a Demi movie. Right. And the he, first Oscar
3: speech to be turned into a movie.
2: Yes. In yes. and out. Yep. He said, uh, my thanks to Jonathan Demi, who seems to just have Oscars attached to him these days. Wow. Wow. I mean, I guess that was post-silence. So, yeah. Yeah. It,
3: four actors had won working with him. Guess what didn't win an Oscar?
2: Last Embrace or Citizen Band? <laughs>
3: the movie we're making our guests watch. Yes, it barely won my attention
2: for now, the duration of the film. Wow! Right. So here's here's the thing:
3: when a movie wins your attention, you give it a trophy, right? You mail That's the trophy right. to it's the a trophy studio. Yes, yeah.
2: seeing the end of it. <laughs> this guy. You know, Jonathan Demi mm. wins our March Madness bracket. Yeah. And this, of course, is a podcast about filmographers. Yeah. Directors are mass successful around their career, Give a series of blank checks, saying whatever crazy patch products they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce. Baby. Yeah. And this is a mini series on the films of Jonathan Demi called Stop Making Podcasts. That's right. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the fans <laughs> decided this should be called. Or that's just what the fans asked us to do, but sure. we interpret it as. A miniseries suggestion.
3: We're going to interpret it as a miniseries title and not a
2: suggestion. Right. Uh, This guy wins, and we immediately go, okay, how do we do this? Because he's got five films before his first film that anyone really cares about. Right. And so we did the three Cormans and then the two non-Corman studio films where he hasn't really found his footing yet. Sure. And we were like, how do we make this a listenable episode? And we had an ace up our sleeve, (laughs) which is our guest today. Who said, I've been listening to the podcast. I've watched almost every movie you've discussed in preparation for each episode. I will come on and talk about anything. And we said, How's about we offer you the least appetizing episode possible? <laughs> it's so mean. Could have given you a I good said, movie. Yeah, I said in the text, I
1: said, I love it because whenever you guys put two movies into one episode, they're always really good, <laughs> important movies <laughs> that people will have some context. <laughs> the, guys, no, you can't watch You can't these watch snakes. these movies. No. I you know. Can't, you can get Citizen's Banned on YouTube. Yeah. If you want to rent it on YouTube, that's what I, like, I, I did that. You can rent it on YouTube. The, otherwise, you can't watch these. I might as well be describing a fucking dream I had to people <laughs> for all the relevance that this will have to their lives.
3: <laughs> I I do frequently dream
2: about Roy Scheider. I do too. I will say. His his uh, uh, highly treated leather face. Oh god. God, I'd love like a Roy Scheider jacket made of his face. You know what I mean? Just stretch it out. I'd love like a Roy Scheider, like, necromonic, namicon. you know? Like, a, right. like his little eyes peeking b- out at you. Of Roy Scheider's face bound in Roy Scheider's flesh. What a wild movie star he is. We're going to spend most of this episode talking about <laughs> how weird Roy Scheider is as a movie star. But our guest, of course, today... Go on. Justin McElroy. Yeah! My brother, my yeah, brother, yeah. and me, and Sawbones and The Adventure Zone. Hey, how's it going? Number one New York Times best-selling author, yeah, twice over. It's the second time I've dropped the mouth organ. Ben D- David dropped a mouth organ. Uh, Justin Ben has started ben bringing has props to the studio. He wants to become some sort of morning disc jockey, uh, much like your father. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the great Clint McElroy, but Ben now has a little bell and a mouth organ. And the tape recorder. So the ca- this is like the spoilers. Tape, yeah, the yeah.
0: tape recorder is funny because then you could do the bit where you're like, uh "Note to self: I should keep this in the episode." And then you you know, and it's like you do that, <laughs> and, then, then, and
1: it's funny. <laughs> okay, wait a lot. Could you hear the click? <laughs> what you suggested is a reality in which you make a tape. Uh-huh. That you have to scrub through mm-hmm. to remind yourself what part of the audio that you are going to scrub through and and uh, keep in the episode.
2: Yeah, it, he's also creating a reality in which the audience can detect the difference in verisimilitude between Ben miming a tape recorder and saying "note to self" and holding a tape recorder up to the microphone. It's a button press. I heard a button. There's press. a yeah. very light click. Yeah, but it's <laughs> unmistakable. It's, it's about the theater of the mind. It's about Griffin. the theater of the mind. It's, it, there's a difference in Ben's performance. <laughs> He's working with something tangible. When um, y'all, uh, uh, I thought, "I'll do anything." Was the
1: maddest. I would get it, you guys, (laughs) for making me watch a movie. Did you watch? Isn't that funny? Just a few short days ago, I thought that was the maddest I would be at you. Okay, so that's that's what you're up to now. You're in the Brooks. I'm I'm actually halfway through. uh, As good as it gets, the
2: episode. With uh, Chris Gethard. Yes, so I'm like, yes. that's, that's where I am in. That's where I'm at. So you've watched I'll Do Anything, but you have not watched the musical cut of I'll Do Anything. Yeah, go ahead and slide that in my Gmail, my fellas, will. if you don't mind. I will happily because uh, that that for me is bottom three worst things we've ever discussed on the show. You should that's not rough. send him that thing. I will send it. That thing is like toxic material. You should like go to jail for transporting it through email. I, I should warn the you. The musical cut of "I'll Do Anything." I should warn you that like the musical cut of "I'll Do Anything" is like the um, uh, the internet cloud version of the ring tape. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's like, it's like the fucking Ark of the Covenant. Right. It's one of those things where you watch "I'll Do Anything" and you're like.
3: Yeah, th- this is so horrible. There's no way the musical version was worse. At least it must have been interesting. It you watch the to musical make version, you're like, oh, it's a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. I kind of rescued this one. And also
2: an hour longer. Yeah. Ugh. And it's not Ugh. just an hour of musical numbers. It's an hour of, like, bullshit, other bullshit, Fucking bullshit. Yeah. Uh, What a weird film. Anyway, today we're talking about two normal movies that everyone's loved and everyone will have watched in preparation for this episode. So
1: honored just to put a thumbprint on these cultural milestones. Gotta
2: talk about the movies. So Demi has done three Cormans. That's correct. And they all did all right. And like Corman always says, if you do well enough under me, you get to make real movies. Exactly. So here's him coming up with two films that feel like uh, proven sort of models. One is yeah. Citizen's Band is kind of working off the American Graffiti archetype. hundred percent, the
3: small town ensemble comedy cast. melodrama ensemble cast. Genuine, it has Paula Matt and Ken: right. Clark who are both in American Graffiti. Right. Uh,
2: you know, slice of life. There's almost a bit of all comedy. In. There's yeah. almost something sort of Nashville adjacent, which I guess these are the same year. Is Nashville, no,
3: isn't Nashville 76? 75. 75, okay. okay. So this is two years
2: later. Uh, right, but he's picking two American actors. American Graffiti, I believe, is
3: 74. Yes. yes.
2: He's picking two actors from American Graffiti several years after American Graffiti and going, this is going to be a surefire hit. They're back in cars again. Yeah, they're <laughs> in cars. Uh, you got. It's written by Paul uh, Brickman. Who, who later goes on to write and direct uh, Risky Business and then Disappear. Yeah, he really did disappear.
3: Whew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he made Men Don't Leave. Oh, of course. Well, Men uh, Don't Leave. Um, but apart from that, yeah. Um, so I think, I, well, also there's the movie Convoy. We have to talk about the movie Convoy. Justin, have you seen the film Convoy? No. That Are comes you, out the next year. Have you heard the song Convoy? Convoy. Yes. Convoy. Yeah. Convoy. So at right. 75, that song comes out and the, it's like taps into this whole like CB radio yes. craze. Right. Which is when you watch this movie, it's fucking Twitter. And. All that stuff. Well, that's it's a little I,
2: social network. That's what I think is interesting about this movie. I agree. Is that the movie's kind of about the yes. internet.
3: And then Convoy is a movie that comes out next year. Comes out in '78. It's a Peck and paw movie. It stars Chris Christopherson. But it's and it, based off the song. Like it's, it's explicitly based off the like song.
2: you love the song. Get ready for f- an hour and forty minutes of uh, uh, live action footage. But in Convoy, like
3: things are happening. It's more of an adventure movie. Uh-huh. You know, the trucks are driving somewhere. In CB, it's you know, Citizens Band. It's like everyone's stuck in their same town and is kind of like bored, right? It's kind of just about people who are bored.
1: It, right? But it is a movie about but again, th- I think that that f- that leans into that like it is. It's about Twitter. It is. It's a prescient film about Twitter created before this, like, what is it, 30 years before the service itself would exist. It's fascinating.
2: Yeah. Well, the other, that's the thing that's fascinating is like his whole hook to the movie, which is like the thing that uh, uh, poster tagline leads with, is the idea that, like, oh, everybody is somebody else. Right. On citizens band radio, which is like, yes, incredibly prescient for the internet, right. which is like he's tapping this idea of like, oh, is there something in the human spirit that would love to pretend to be someone else to create a false identity, right. to be able to like speak with impunity and anonymity? It's like a little and connect like, with others. You know, it's like sort of like
3: in the nineties. You I guess like the sort of lonely hearts thing, right? Sure. Like you know singles and. Uh, like uh, people sending sort of uh, personal ads to each other, like it's a very primitive version of that. But then now it feels like a primitive version of a social network.
2: Yeah, and this movie has like, like a chat room. This right? movie has like a a little boy troll pretending to be an adult. Right. It has like essentially pornography being distributed over the CB radio. Sure, sure. Right? Like kind of yeah. like smut. Right. right. Yeah, the yeah, lead yeah, yeah. character is a social justice warrior. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> Like it was kind of blowing my mind how like he identified every type of person who like weaponizes the internet to their own enjoyment or advantage.
3: But I feel like this movie is as we're sort of getting into Demi and trying to develop like the Demi take and like you know the the listeners have handed us this director who's sort of famously anonymous in, in weird ways like right. in, in interviews he was always like well I work with all these great people you know like was very happy to pass the praise around he did around. not create
2: a sort of auteur exactly. narrative he never had this himself. sort of
3: mythos of like oh he's a tortured genius who like must make his movies his right? narrative
2: was he's a really kind man who's a great collaborator exactly
3: so mm-hmm. we're you know but like he's handed this script and this premise that I feel like is sort of like they're like yeah do this movie about, like, goofballs. And he's like, but there are these are human beings. Right. And I feel like that's why the movie probably kind of just went nowhere. Yeah. Uh, sort of flopped on release. And also
2: why it's sort of, like, kind of interesting to watch it now. Do, do you know this, Justin, that, like, the movie came out. They were like, it's like American Graffiti but in trucks. Right. No one went to see it. No. So then they pulled it from theaters and retitled it. And then submitted it to the New York Film Festival. Re-edited it. it. Like, they cut it down, I think, yeah. I read that they
1: uh, the the audiences were expecting it to be have a musical component because they didn't know what CB stood for. I, and <laughs> so they thought Citizens Band was would have some sort of musical element hey, to we're it. Hey,
3: the Citizens Band.
2: <laughs> I will admit. Straight I out of Missouri. I did not know what CB stood for until I started watching the movie. Oh, and went, really? Oh, there's not going to be a band in this. Huh? Oh, you
3: never heard of like, you know, like Breaker, you know,
2: like that kind of. I like, know what a right. CB radio is. Sure, I sure, didn't sure. know what it stood for. Right. So when I heard the title "Citizens Band," I was like, "What's this going to be? Some can't stop the music type movie? Right, right. This is going to be a bunch of scrappy people from a small town creating a citizens band,
3: right?
2: Is this going to be like the Muppet Musicians of Brennan? Um, yeah, it's not that. It's not. Uh, Bill Conti did the music. Weird. You so know, the Rocky guy. So Justin. Yeah. When when we asked you what mm. uh, episode you want to be on, and you said I don't care, I'll watch anything. I said, which, it has to be the Citizens Band Last Embraced combo.
3: <laughs> you were like, nothing.
1: You're going to combine better those I two, want. right?
2: Right. You better, yeah. right? Because there's a thematic
3: tie between. <laughs> yeah, the thematic tie is uh, they were made next to each other. <laughs> right. Well, you said
2: like either I I want to be the guest on the combined Citizens Band Last Embraced episode, or I need to ask. To be a guest on two consecutive episodes, right? Because I have to,
1: I have to share my thoughts on these flicks with the world. You
2: have to weigh in on both, right? But these it, movies that I and many other people, real people, have seen yeah, and remember, seen and love. watch all the time. Right. Uh, well, this uh, WGN, like their, their equivalent of uh, a TBS playing uh, or TNT playing Christmas Story twenty four hours straight, is uh, they play uh, Citizen's Band twenty four hours straight every Labor Day. It reminds me
1: the way that they have worked in um, CB into this film in every possible angle. Mm-hmm. It feels like an adaptation of a thing. Like it feels like, you know how like the Garbage Pale Kids movie, <laughs> yeah. they like, right. how do we turn this into a movie? Yeah. This feels like the adaptation of a the concept of CB Radio. Like, how do we turn this inanimate object, this idea into a film that is just like an adaptation of
3: a, an idea. A, like, a that's what thing. it feels like to me. Yeah. It's like you made VHS the movie. Well, I like guess right. someone actually did make that. It's like you made Fisher-Price Cassette Recorder the movie. Right, which is an act of pre-production at
2: Paramount. <laughs> but, <laughs> th- no, there is like... This right. is a Paramount picture film. I own. Oh, yeah. uh, much, much like the Garbage Pail Kids movie, uh, one of my favorite films. <laughs> you do love that movie. I love it. Uh, it's one of the few bad movies that I like. Like, I'm very adamant about, like, if I like a movie, I don't think it's bad. And I don't like watching bad movies on purpose. And right, the,
3: you're not someone who's like, oh, it's a bad movie, but I love it. I don't you're have right. guilty pleasures, sure, right. except for like. there you just are, have pleasure.
2: There are like three movies that I think are terrible that I can't stop watching.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Garfield Kids movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, Old Dogs. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. And right. I'm trying to think of what the third one is. It might be just three. those two. Okay. I know. I'm trying to think of what the third one is. Citizens Band? Uh, yes, yeah, Citizens Band. Which no, I Citizens watched Band the isn't even bad. I this think, movie oh. is
3: not bad. But the thing, it's a little it's just kind of meandering. You're just kind of like,
1: okay. It's weird in the, I don't know how much like plot by plot you guys are going to do on this. Cause it's this one? Like, what plot can a, we talk like like about? Right. Sorry. <laughs> it's a Canterbury Tales. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, except the C and the B are capitalized. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, it the, uh, the, when it worked, the, there's just these mo. Overall, watching it, I'm like, I don't know why I'm watching this. Sure. Like, the, I don't know why this is a movie. I don't
2: know why I ever why listened any, to this
1: podcast. Well, yeah, what did I do? <laughs> what I in my with my life? People. Why did I agree to do yeah. this? I have to watch this entire thing. Yeah. Um. Every once in a while, it like a scene really works, right. and it's weird. <laughs> it's like out of nowhere, it just kind of like hits all its marks, and it's very strange. Uh, because I think so much of it feels so. I don't know if listless is the word, but when characters take when characters take action in this film, it really comes out of nowhere. Yeah, like it looks like they're like, "I am gonna." the 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 scene where, again, not to get too specific, but the scene where Spider decides that he's gonna clean up the (laughs) the 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 airwaves basically is like, "Oh, this is the." Okay, this is the movie you guys wanted to – this is the movie. We're a third of the way into it, but, like, this is the movie you wanted to yeah. make. I get it now. And that action comes from nowhere. It's like I have no idea why that moment uh, of all others and, connects. And, and then, like, two-thirds
2: yeah. of the way into it, they kind of drop that. Like, yeah. Yes. Like, you, when it gets to that moment, you're like, I guess this is the hook of the movie. Right. But you imagine that maybe that's what they hired Demi to do. They were like, it's a movie about one man taking the CB into his own hands. Right. Right. And then it sort of isn't. No, but a uh, oh, this is what I was sort of trying to tee up when we were asking you uh, what you want to be on. You said I haven't really seen any Demi movies. I'll I'll do anything that you guys pick. Right. And yes. I think it, you said Silence of the Lambs* was the only one you had seen, maybe long time ago. Yeah, yeah. and I guess I've seen *Manchurian Candidate* uh,
1: too. I didn't realize that was one movies. of his one I haven't seen pictures. Um, long time ago.
2: Well, and those are two. Outliers because like he's got like three thrillers in his entire filmography and their Last Embrace, Manchurian Candidate, and Silence of the Lambs. And one of them is, like, a stone-cold classic canonical American, like, work. Well, he's
3: maybe the most famous and important thriller of all time. Right. 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 Along with, like, Psycho.
2: Right. And one of the most dominant Oscar movies of all time and one of the weirdest Oscar movies of all time to be that dominant. And then the rest of his career is, like, predominantly better versions of Citizen's Band. And Hmm. they are movies where, like, once he taps into it— it is sort of like he has figured out how to sustain the vibe of those rare moments that sure, work in that the way you're we're talking, talking about, about. Right, right, right. that weird, magical kind of thing. And part of that is that like sort of – we're talking about that he doesn't sort of he, – he did not in his life try to present himself as some sort of like master tour, that he was like, I like to work with a writer and I like to ha- cast actors and hire people to do their best work and create a fun environment and set – and, like, dig into stuff and try to find something honest and truthful. And all his other comedies after this, he's got this, like, incredible run of really weird studio comedies. Yes. Uh, that becomes his thing. Right. Um, that are able to sort of sustain this energy for an entire runtime, But also have sort of, like... A clear, simple plot on its face. This is,
3: I mean, the beginning of this movie is close to unintelligible. Yes. When, like, the yes. truck is turned over. I, I watched it, it two times. I think they probably just, I mean, obviously, we're watching these fairly grainy transfers. I feel like, uh-huh. you know, maybe it looks better off, But, like, they probably just didn't have the money. Like, you just don't really know what the fuck is going on. It's also at night. It's at night. A truck is turned, I don't know. And like, The sound is really rough. Really, it's really it's hard, hard to, to dramatize. To figure out who's... Who's talking yeah, it's, a lot of that's the thing. It's really hard to dramatize people talking on the radio.
2: You're also being introduced to all the characters at night in cars that are not illuminated. Yeah, and they mm-hmm. all have freaking aliases and real names. I can't keep right. track of any of it. But I will say it took me an hour to clearly identify which characters uh, were the characters who were in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, Because right. you're like, that one guy looks kind of like Paul LaMatte but with glasses. yes, yes. Wizard and that? is that his name? Um, yeah, and no, a warlock. Warlock. And that guy. Warlock, fun yeah. fact about that guy. Do you want
3: to know? Please, I can't wait for this fact. All right, he's played by an actor called Will Seltzer, who never amounted to anything. He was in the. He was in the. <laughs> Damn. I mean, no. offense, no offense <laughs> That's to it. Some gold shit. He David. was in like more American graffiti. He was. I didn't know
1: you're Will Seltzer's uh, uh,
2: disappointed uncle. I know. I feel now. I feel mean. <laughs> he's a disgrace to the Seltzer family well, name. The first family the, to ever carbonate water. Him, if you're this fucking guy, you're living never. off the Seltzer billion. They make a commission off of every can of LaCroix day. I'm about to, to blow day. your minds. Okay, give me a. George mind Lucas blow.
3: said this guy was the runner-up for Luke Skywalker. Wow, he was the second best screen test that George Lucas. Will saw. Seltzer. Will Seltzer, who like like his IMDb page says, here's a sentence from his IMDb page. He also appeared in an episode of Barney Miller in 1977 and again in 1982. Like, that mm. amounts to a sentence on his five sentence
2: Wikipedia page. And that guy was almost Luke Skywalker. The same That's year wild. that Star Wars came out and changed the world. I bet he's never right. had that thought. No, yeah, he's, he's probably never, just he's never, he's never thought that if I had got Luke Skywalker, my career would have been <laughs> drastically different. No, because Justin, if he had gotten the part in Star Wars, he wouldn't have been able to do that Barney Miller in 77. <laughs>
3: or the other one. Right, yeah. Or
2: 82. He
3: wouldn't have He had, might have been in pre production on Return of the Jedi. He,
2: Couldn't have done it. He wouldn't have had the joy of waiting waiting five years for his agent to call and saying, Miller's bringing you back. <laughs> <laughs> They've made you a recurring. Anyway, instead he
3: got to play like the horny, you know, virgin in Citizen's Band who gets like taunted by um, Candy Clark's character. A character
2: who but, feels like the shooter in Nashville. Like yeah, I was right, like, are they setting right, up this right. guy to this guy massacre go on a everyone? Rampage? Right. <sighs>
1: The um it I but I think that that's probably the the kind of craft thing that you pick up when you make a bunch of movies. Eventually, you're talking about this this same basic idea and him improving over time. Yeah. The idea that you would need to to take ten seconds to just frame <laughs> a character and who a character is. Yes, to like if you're gonna dump. 10 characters on it's like uh, just a beat to establish who each one is as a person is great.
2: Yeah. I mean that's the thing that is fun about uh, uh, doing this podcast and starting with people's first movies is like you get to chronologically watch people like – Figure shit out. Like acquire the basic building blocks of making a coherent movie. Right. And usually the early ones have like sprinkles of their best qualities but lack the basic craft to make a like pretty entertaining thing. (laughs) It,
1: it doesn't help that Paul lamatt at least especially earlier on, has a real down-tempo energy yeah. that doesn't feel like the propulsive sort of force behind a film. He seems to just sort of be be present for the filming.
2: So we got to talk about Paul lamatt as – there are two what-a-weird movie star discussions we need to do in this episode. Paul lamatt's the first one. Sure. The cast? Sorry, I want to be clear. American Graffiti is 73, not 74. I said 74. God, what, what egg on your face? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Embarrassing. I th- I, it's like a, a real world seltzer. <laughs> 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 Paul LaMatte uh,
3: served in the Vietnam War uh, with the you. U.S. Navy. Thank you for your service, Paul. Uh, And then basically his first ever movie, he did like one TV pilot and his first ever movie is American Graffiti, which he's sort of the lead of. He's kind of the neutral lead of the film. Right. I mean the movie kind of has like three or four leads, but he's sort of the hero, anti-hero. He kind of is like the Han Solo of the movie. Yes. Like if, you know, if you're thinking about in George Lucas's
2: canon, you have to imagine that he auditioned for Star Wars. I mean, he everyone did. auditioned he did. for no, Star he Wars did, for sure. Um, but, but he wins a Golden Globe for like best new star. Yes, uh, which is he a does. category I wish still existed. Oh, God, it's so much what fun. What a clusterfuck it would be that the Golden Globes every year used to anoint. Can the you tell new me star. the
3: last winner of best new star of the year actor? Give me the at the year. Golden Globes 1983.
2: 1983. Well, the category gets disbanded because of Pia Zadora. Is that true? Uh, I mean, somewhere around there. I feel like... Do you know about Pia Zadora? We, let's not get into Pia Zadora right Justin, now. Justin, can we do a Pia Zadora corner?
3: Uh, sure. Get, go for it. Pia Zadora <laughs> was a
2: terrible actress who's like millionaire husband financed a movie to make her a star called Butterfly that no one liked and no one saw it and was like a soft core sort of like smutty movie right yeah. he's like I think my wife is beautiful everyone should <laughs> th- think she is beautiful <laughs>
3: It was, like, one of those things? <laughs> yes, and she won New Star of the Year at the Golden Globes In 1983? Uh, in 82. Right? Okay. You know, but, like, it's close to the end of the—they dis- they do one more year and then that's but it.
2: But they disbanded because it was, like, a big controversy where they were like, this award means nothing now. Right. He, like, bought the award. Because he bought the award for a movie that no one had even heard of. But
3: the next year,
2: someone won their final acting award
3: for, in 1983, Best New Star of the Year.
2: Now, was this a good pick? Did this person go on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good pick. Um, also just kind of
3: an obvious one. No, although he did win in 1970. Right, for Stay
2: Hungry, yeah. right? Okay. Kind of an obvious one. Yeah, big movie that year. Big movie. Won Best Picture. It won Best he Picture. He was the star. In 1983. Well, now I'm trying to think. Rain Man is what?
3: 88. Okay. It's the movie The B.E.T. Big biopic. Oh, it's
2: Ben Kingsley? Correct.
3: Ben Kingsley. New star! There's a hot new star around town. Did he also win
2: Best Actor?
3: Probably. Let's find out.
2: I think that that was the other reason is that, like, the new star would often go to someone who also won the competitive actor or actress category.
1: If you if you talk if you want to debate the merits of googling Ben Kingsley uh-huh. versus talking about Citizens Band, mm-hmm. at least people can Google Ben Kingsley at home. <laughs> that is the one <laughs> advantage that they have is that they
2: can they too can Google Ben Kingsley and play along with the fun. and they will find voluminous results. He did <laughs> right, exactly. They will be able to entertain themselves for days. He did indeed yeah.
3: win Best Actor, and yeah. confusingly, Gandhi also won Best Foreign Film. What? Okay. <laughs> and then United Kingdom slash India. Wow. Which meant E.T. got to win Best Picture. Like, they got to sort of spread the wealth.
2: Weird. Whereas the
3: Oscars ended up picking Gandhi over E.T., which is one of their, like, you know, yeah. classic 80s. Like, whoa, we like this old-fashioned movie, not yeah. this
2: new kid. Well, the point is, Lamette is sort of seen as, much like the entire cast of American Graffiti, oh, this is going to be the next wave. Right, right, right. And the number of stars who come out of American Graffiti and spin in different directions, where you get like Harrison Ford becomes the biggest guy in the world, right. Ron Howard, Charles Martin Smith continue to have acting careers but very quickly transition to being incredibly successful directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have Richard Dreyfus goes on to have this like triumphant run, of course, for like seven years that ends in him winning an Oscar, Wolfman Jack. Wolfman Jack becomes the greatest <laughs> DJ of all time.
3: <laughs>
2: but then you even have, like, Suzanne Summers, Yeah, Candy
3: Clark. Get her Oscar Phillips. nomination
2: for this Mackenzie Phillips. Like, people going on to sitcoms yeah. and things like that. And Lamatt is kind of the one guy in the top ten of American Graffiti who, like, doesn't have... A big career, but he does have somewhat of a career at this point. He's gonna be in Melvin and Howard, another which is that's the big Demi thing movie. that Demi sort of like yeah. claims him and gives him his best post American graffiti parts. Yeah. But if you look at him now, he is now a guy who does weird YouTube videos.
3: Yeah, he hasn't done a, a movie essentially for 15 years.
1: Uh, do I, I stumbled onto the YouTube thank videos you. just googling for him. He has got a beard. Uh, of such uh, volume <laughs> that I just assumed every video was a manifesto. Oh my god. of god! Yep. Some sort. It's a powerful It's, it's, oh
2: my god, of a it's beard. so large. It is a Randy Quaid adjacent uh,
3: <laughs> is, look. Is, is he talking about like Randy Quaid thing? Like, is it conspiratorial? He's, no, he's
1: just plugging his books. Yeah, that's what's weird. He about writes it. a lot of books. Right. He's just. It just seems very normal. He's doing
3: the sort of like sort of grandpa YouTube. Angle where the camera's kind of like pointing. Right. He has a poster of memoirs of a geisha in his room, I, yeah. Yeah, all right. He's sort of a he's 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 a, got
1: he's got one of Titanic, too. He's missing, he uh, he does, right. he's he's missing does. a
3: bunch of teeth. He's missing a bunch
0: of teeth.
2: He's got this is brutal. He's got like a beard that's longer than my entire body, <laughs> yeah. And he's like bald but with like crazy hair on the sides. Yeah, he's got a little on top, but he has so much on the chin, I'm right? He looks like a hobo wizard, let's say it. Yeah, he looks like um, you know moon vest from Thirty Rock. Yes, like that's who he looks like. <laughs> right, or Radio Man from <laughs> well, Real that's, Life. That's the same person. I know. Okay. I was making a joke. God, Justin, he doesn't get it. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm picking up on. I gotta just get yeah. in the brother game. Is that the answer? Do brothers get <laughs> that's jokes? The secret. Just record with your family. Do brothers get jokes. Um. The point is, it's weird that, yes, when you look at the thumbnails and the amount of videos he has, you assume that they're all manifestos or they're all like QAnon shit. Right. You would assume this is a guy who's about to tell you why he's like drinking, you know, poison to go on a comet or whatever. Or like right? telling yeah. right. like dark stories about other people in Hollywood. And right. Instead, where he's like, eh, look, at, look at this guy. Instead, they're all kind of this nice. This is good content,
3: David. <laughs> for his Give videos. him a
1: podcast. He should have a podcast. Okay. At well, least people can watch these videos. Take it to LeMatt. He has
3: a James Dean standee, like a cardboard standee. Hey, he loves the movies. <laughs> What's does. the other poster? It just seems like it's like a glamour shot of like Marilyn Monroe.
1: Why is it not okay for poor? <laughs> no, he can <laughs> have them. I'm LeMatt just intrigued. Have, no, 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 David. I, listen, Will's dead. <laughs> you can't kick Will Seltzer anymore. But let be want to pull him out. Why is it not okay for this man to have this man who is in a fil- the film industry to have posters of movies that he enjoyed? Like,
3: what? what is to so be cool? He
0: loves
1: the
3: work. He has two posters up. Titanic, great movie. Uh Memoirs of a Geisha, bit of a curveball, (laughs) but okay. Then he has the James Dean cardboard standee that's just kind of leaning against the wall. And a framed picture of Marilyn Monroe.
2: He loves the Looks like he's got like
3: an HP laptop that's just open. Like he's talking to a separate laptop. David,
2: what is the Mount Rushmore? Oh, he's got an Elvis Presley pillow. What is the Mount Rushmore film? Titanic. Geisha. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, Dean Dean. James Dean. James movies. Right. If you were to carve into <laughs> a rock side, the Mount Rushmore films, it would be the ship the Titanic. Um, right. 달라que, <laughs> Marilyn Monroe's dress blowing up. Yeah. <laughs> just geishas. the sort of. Right. A geisha with right. like an umbrella carved out of the rock. Right. I mean, the third face is five geishas. <laughs> full body. And then maybe
0: like a sad L.A. apartment. <laughs> Yeah, with like blinds, you know
3: those sort of like, you know. I anyway, like that. I don't want to mock him. I'm are literally nice. just fascinated. Well, I can't hear what he's saying, so that's an issue.
2: But it was like a relief. I mean, Justin, you felt the same way, where you right. were like, he's going to say some really upsetting shit. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. I didn't even have to click on it to know that. I knew for sure.
1: <laughs> but then- he has one. He has a guys. He has a film. Hit according to IMDb. His last film. Was in two thousand nine, yes. it was a movie called Chrome Angels, which is weird for for in the context of citizens. Sort man, of a, a right, thing. a
2: sister. Perhaps there is a character uh, named Chrome Angel in this film.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's very strange. Uh, his it, and he has one film called Eli Elder. In pre-production, oh. can we please move the pre-along on this <laughs> flick? Because I've seen the beard, and that's going to be a powerful performance. Let's get this going.
2: You are asking that we add Eli Elder to the blank check picture. He's playing sling, Eli in this. That we that we acquire the rights to the film. Right. I think we can yes. do that. The poster
3: that. is what I can only describe as like... A sort of bitmap of Paul the <laughs> Matt's face. And then someone is like put a word art sheriff star in the R of the Elder. That's very good. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he looks great. That is Vaporwave, David. It is. It's Vaporwave defined. <laughs> it was really it's hard
1: to watch. The first I, I movie that goes straight IMDb. to free Cell. <laughs> I kept watching, uh, checking IMDb when we are watching this movie, and it is infuriating because people are only identified. In the credits yes. by their CB right. handle, Correct. some of which are not used in the film at all, no. as far as I could tell, uh, and also a couple of which are spoilers. Yes, that's true. <laughs> of, uh, that, that are like just by their role that they're playing. Uh, but yeah, I didn't, if, I mean, then, I
3: love a po- end credits where you, you know, you see the actual actor and then some- like a title flashes on screen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, for what's his name? This could have used that at the time. Uh, the, <laughs> the kid, the hustler. The kid, the hustler turns out to be yeah. a kid. Yes.
2: <laughs> right, but there is that thing. In a lot of the movie, you're hearing voices and you're meeting characters in person, and there are like four or five turns that are based on you not realizing that character you've been introduced to. IRL is also this voice you've been hearing disembodied. So to do And the IMDB
3: right. will connect all those dots for you prematurely. To do the plot as basically as possible, I would say that there are two main plots in Citizen. Band. There is one plot in which two brothers, played by Paul LaMatte and Bruce McGill, the great Bruce McGill, the legend Bruce McGill, Shush, who invented acting in Bruce McGill. Bruce
2: McGill playing the role of Blood, role of
3: blood. blood Ben's favorite character, yeah, definitely. Um, they it's a good name are it's in a sort name. of a love triangle with Candy Clark's character mm-hmm. Electra. Mm-hmm. So that's plot A, right? And there's like the two of them are teachers.
2: What does Paul Lamat do? Paul Lamat lives with his ornery old dad. Right, who used to be a rancher in Canada, moved to America for opportunities for his son, and has never been able to ranch again. He has not been able to herd nary a cow he has herded. I would say this is slightly,
3: this is the maybe slightly less interesting subplot. Of, of the two plots. That right. would be my argument. And then it, this
2: feels like the more conventional. It's the more Here's conventional the movie. Plot. It's, right. it's down home people. But then, of course,
3: Spider also is wrapped up in like fighting neo-Nazis and there's all this stuff that kind of crops up at the end Spider
2: there. Spider is like the, the Avenger of the CB radio that he believes it has to be like a public service for people to be able to help each other. And right. there's all this trash. Right. This, Again, it's about Twitter. This smut. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: Now, And his dad, really interestingly, I I thought this was actually very...
2: Played uh, by the
3: wonderfully named Roberts Blossom. Who is... Roberts, plural. (laughs) Yes, Roberts Blossom. Who's a guy? I mean, yeah, he's
2: the old man from Home Alone, is he not?
3: Yes, he is. He's old man Marley from Home Alone. He's the the old man from Home Alone. Because I knew him from, like, you know, I don't know, he's in, like, Christine, and he, like, pops up, I I think, in, like... Close the counters and stuff. Like, he plays an old guy, great old that guy. That quiet dignity was for right. You
2: remember that guy um, shoveling he, a walkway? Of course. He plays
1: a character who is much nicer on the CB than he is in
2: real which life, which is kind of fun. which I think is like actually really kind of smart. A yeah, yeah. little says twist, a lot. Right. I mean this guy like wants to pretend in real life that he's an asshole. Right. And that he's far less mentally there than he actually is. There's the weird extended run where he wants to convince his son that he uh, has cooked and is now eating his dog. Yeah, that's a a fun thread. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like he – when the son asks him point – Blank, if he has uh, cooked the dog that he is currently eating, if it is dog meat, uh, he acts like he's senile and doesn't understand the question and has lost his mind. But it is, again, like, if you're going to keep this internet metaphor going, it's like when your older
3: relative, your dad, your grandpa, whatever, like, discovers, like, message boards and yeah. in, like, their 70s, you know what I mean? Like right. it, Or, I guess, Facebook, like, whatever Facebook became. Yeah.
2: yeah. But he's not using it for ill will? No,
3: he's using it to, to like, share. It's,
2: like, nice core. Like, it's, like right. pictures of his sons. And yeah. It's like, I love right. them very much. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right. So then the other plot, the other sort of main plot. Yeah. Is... Uh, Charles Napier, who is going to be the most recurring figure in this miniseries, yeah. he's in most Demi movies. Yeah, He's a great character actor. There's
2: another recurring figure I want to bring up in a moment. That's fine. we we'll sure. yeah.
3: um, And it turns out that he has two – he's the one whose truck crashes at the start of the movie. Right. And this reveals that he has two wives, essentially, two ladies on the go, and they discover him. And so that's the other plot. Yeah,
2: which is the better plot and feels like the more demi-plot.
3: Yeah, and it's just sort of funny and it arrives at a fun conclusion and everyone in it is really good. Both women were nominated, one won and one was nominated like the National Society of Film Critics for Supporting Actress. Like I think that was the only thing that really connected.
2: They're both uh, excellent. And Wedgworth and Marsha Rod, I believe. Yeah, Marsha Rod was the one I was really impressed with who plays the sort of more soulful. Right, right. Marsha Rod
1: was very funny. Very
2: good. Um, but yeah, I mean, this opening scene of the movie is supposed to be like, oh, here's like the central event that unites all these characters, except it is shot and cut in a way that makes it almost impossible to identify it's the really characters. It's really hard to figure out what's going right, on. So happens. you have like Warlock is like flirting with Electra, mm-hmm. who's like sort of like, you know, like. Who's uh, married and bored.
3: Sex call line. She's sort of using the CB radio to kind of like get her jollies off because she's
2: bored. Right, she's not married. She's married.
3: Not married. No, oh, she's not, she's not no, married. No, because she's
2: the one in the relationship with in the, the two relationship. brothers. No, 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 that's Candy Clark. Isn't that
3: Electra? Yeah, Electra. Yes. Right. She's not in the—oh, sorry, in the relationship with the two brothers. I'm sorry. Thank I got confused you. between the two brothers and the two wives. Right. Yeah, not
2: married, but right, like— the three yeah, love you know, triangles. Yeah. She's in a crappy relationship with one brother after ending a relationship yes. for several years with another brother, and she is a schoolteacher. Right. She is pretending to be a sort of uh, phone sex hotline woman. Operating only over the CB, which Warlock as a lonely man, is like uh, you know, hitting her up constantly on that old hand radio. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, uh, Napier gets turned over and Paul LaMatte as like the, the SJW of the CB is going to try to rescue him along with his friend. The world's largest man. Right. A, a guy where I cannot comprehend how big he is, even just down to— He's like a lump of granite. His head and his hands look massive. Yes.
3: Yeah. Um, Who's the other one you wanted to talk about?
2: The other one I want to talk about is uh, uh, Gary Goetzman. Okay. Uh, who has small roles in both of these films. He is the tour guide at Niagara Falls in Last Embrace. Uh, and I forget who he is in Citizen's Band. But he is in both of these films. And he ends up having a small part in, like, every one of Demi's films through Philadelphia— Right. I was like, I knew I recognized he's a this producer, guy's name. right? Yeah. At which point he teams up with freshly Oscar-anointed Tom Hanks right. and becomes right. Tom right. Hanks' producing partner right. for the rest of his career. Right. Wild. Uh, he is like Tom Hanks' right-hand man. But before that, he's a character actor who Demi uses a lot. And that ends with Philadelphia in which he's playing the same character that he played in Silence of the Lambs. Right. And now he has produced, like, every Tom Hanks movie, but also Mamma Mia and My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Right. And, um... Do you think he's got any money? uh, I think he's got a little bit of change. Two dollars. Two dollars. He's got the two dollar deal on
3: every picture. He also apparently, like, was a music producer who worked with, like, Smokey Robinson and the Staple Singers and
2: shit. So he's, yeah. Okay, well, retired bit. Um, But but there are a lot of interesting people like that. Uh, Scott Rudin... Is the casting director on Last Embrace, who is now the most dominant producer in Hollywood? 100%. And on Broadway? Yeah. Um, I, a lot of people start out sort of in the Demi circuit. The other interesting thing, which we forgot to mention in the Corman episodes, is that uh, these movies are shot by Tak Fujimoto. Uh,
3: the, they are not both shot oh, by. Citizens Last Band-Aid. Embrace, uh, yeah, jo- Jordan Cronenwith, who's another famous okay. cinematographer, shot uh, Citizen's Man. Uh, tak Fujimoto, who becomes Demi's yes. main guy, shot Last Embrace. I believe it's their first collaboration.
2: But also was uh, the cinematographer on Cage uh, T. Yes. If not the other two. I mean, he was working with them from the very beginning, which is one of these interesting things to see where you're like, this is a movie that's kind of a mess but has interesting aspects and, like, is sort of low-rent looking but has, like, interesting shots. And then ten years later, these two guys are going to do Silence of the Lambs together. Yep.
3: And Tak Fujimoto uh, shot um, Pulp Fiction.
2: Yes. Yep.
1: And this, this, cat, uh, this cat was the DP on Blade Runner.
2: Uh, yeah.
3: Uh, dude is Jordan Cronenweth was yeah. yes yeah uh, both his incredible. son is Jeff Cronenweth who works with Pincher uh, now and like yeah, yeah. another famous. Um, I want to we're, we're almost done with Citizens Band unless you guys have things to say but I want to read it's although one scene I yes. I, yes. I want to
1: highlight there's there's one scene towards the end there's a there's a sort of like weird half-hearted struggle about Spider leaving he refers to it as the farm mm-hmm. but his dad. Lives, he says, he lives in a junkyard. Right. So, like, I don't know. It's uh, leaving his dad basically, and his dad's
2: like uh, actively resents that he's not living on a farm because he feels yes. like that's what he gave up by moving to America. And his son just keeps on like an asshole calling it the farm,
1: right? Uh And there's a scene where his he has decided to throw a birthday party for his dad, who hates his guts, uh-huh. <laughs> try to throw a birthday party for, for his dad. But there's a scene where they've lit the candles and they're sitting together and spider tells his dad that he's, uh, that he's heading out. And it's like this, like surprisingly touching scene of people just sort of expressing like real heartfelt it, 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 you know what? It felt to me like, um, it had something where a lot of dramatic scenes where news is broken, uh, is not, in it is that sense of like couching the information yeah. mm. uh, because the person really doesn't want to be saying it, which you almost never see in movies is like, usually if someone's going to say something, they're pretty well made up. And this guy's like, kind of sneaks the information that he's leaving in and then starts talking about how if anyone talks bad about his dad, he'll leave him and he really loves him so much. And his dad just sits in total silence, won't even blow out his birthday candles. And it's like this weirdly, like for me, at least I, I found it like weirdly Touching and affecting scene in this film that do, had not really had that sort of like weight or or, or uh, stillness yeah. to it at any point before that. Well, their
2: relationship is really odd because they both kind of like tiptoe around each other. And then anytime they're in a conversation with anyone else, they talk about the other very differently. <laughs> right. Like they're right. like this burden on their lives. And there's also the scene where he's going to get the medal for being the best – Citizen on the Citizen's Band radio, and he like tells yes. his dad, and then when he goes to pick him up before the ceremony, his dad has gotten so drunk that he's like passed out on the table, yes. and thought man was dead. One hundred percent. I was, was like, was this dead. has to be I mean, class, right? Right. Yes. And he starts crying and screaming, and you're like, oh, this is him realizing go. his dad is dead. Right. But in fact, he's crying <laughs> and screaming because he's like, again, I fucking thought for once my dad was going to be <laughs> able to see me do something good. <laughs> right. Uh, it's a nice old, there's some nice little <laughs> human moments and, and his relationship with his brother Blood uh, you know like he Blood uh, is very aware of the fact that he was not his parents favorite children uh, he is now a gym coach where he gets to yell at other children uh, a scene mm-hmm. that gave me PTSD mm-hmm. uh, I, I yeah. truly when this scene started and he was like inspecting all the kids like jock straps and like yelling at them and making them do laps I had a full body panic return to the feeling of being in gym class when I was 13 years old. Sure. Uh,
3: Did you mention Ed Begley Jr. Is in this movie? He flip? is, but I mean, like, I saw him in the credits before I started watching it, so and briefly. I'm like, where is he? Yeah. Like, he's barely in it. But you hear the his voice priest. a bunch. You hear his voice! right? Uh, he would hate being in this movie now. He only wants electric cars. I don't know. Yeah. Ed Begley
2: joke for you. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, great joke. Sure. Justin, I, mean, I, I just loved, a show with my brother.
3: I loved how Ed Begley became so famous for driving an electric car that he played multiple characters on other shows, not himself, right. where he drove an electric car. Because they were like, it's fucking Ed Begley Jr.
2: Yeah, that's what he does. I also imagine that's like a, a sticking point for him in contracts.
3: Yeah, he's like, I will only, right, I'm not driving your gas guzzlers around the set.
2: Right. And they're like, this movie takes place in the 1600s. And he's like, <laughs> I must drive an electric car. Let me read you. Guys, before we get off of this...
3: I have a couple other things. That's fine, but let me read you some... This is an interview with Demi from 1991 in the Los Angeles Times. Okay, He got picked out of the Corman basket Mm -hmm. by Paramount. Mm -hmm. He makes this movie. After he makes this movie, Michael Eisner... Who later would run Disney mm-hmm. becomes, at this
2: point is at Paramount.
3: Becomes in charge of Paramount. Yeah. He ascends to the throne right around now. Okay. He sees this movie, and his first question is, "Why did we make this movie?" <laughs> and Jonathan Demme <laughs> is like, <"Uh-oh."> <laughs> 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 "Then the movie comes out. It is a gargantuan flop. It yeah. cost, I think, about five million to make. It didn't even make like a million dollars at the box office True. after they fucking recut. You like it, yeah. It, yeah. And then a producer calls him." Another Paramount producer says, hey, can we meet? And Demi's like, oh, okay. Maybe, like, I'm not fucked. Maybe this guy wants – maybe he liked the movie anyway. Because Demi's like, it's not a bad movie. Yeah. His his opinion even, like, at this point is like, you know – I made a movie that I thought was okay, you know? And the guy sits down with him, this producer. He's like, so I have a picture coming out in a month and I'm really worried it's going to flop. How does it feel having made a flop? What's that like? And Demi's like, wait, you only called me in for a meeting to discuss the psychological toll of having a bomb and
2: a box office bomb? Hey, Demi, you're a fucking loser, right? (laughs) Exactly. I feel like I'm about to get dunked on hard. Can you prepare me for the atomic wedgies I'm going to get from the press? (laughs) A hundred percent. Um. His takeaway from this movie, here's his
3: quote. I had to take a step back and look at the movie and go, good Lord, it's 90 minutes of people talking to each other over the radio. (laughs) Eric Romare would not have touched this. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, I have to make movies for a wider audience. Like, I can't just make a movie and think like, well, it's a good picture. And that's that. Uh Like, I should be conscious of like, this is a business. Movies are supposed to be. Entertaining and broadly appealing, right? And that's something I need to like not forget as I get into the studio. Well, that's system.
2: the Corman thing, where even if those movies are messy, there is on its face a very clean one sentence hook of what you can right. pretend the movie is about. I th- and, and when he goes into his comedy phase after this, you can go like "Married to the Mob," it's in the title, right? 100%. You know, something wild, a crazy lady, like something wilds like the original Manic Pixie Dream Girl movie, right? Uh, like all these movies that have like a very clean premise, and then he can put all sorts of weird sort of character and craft into it and I think after he makes this movie he's like shit I might not get to make another
3: movie mm-hmm. like this is such a bomb that I'm, I'm a nobody like right. this could be it right uh, and he says it was hard to find out I think it's why he made Last Embrace because he was just like any script anyone wants me to make, I'm there. And you're like,
2: like this is a thriller. Maybe this is an easier genre exactly, to sell, right. and I have a real movie star. Um, I just want to talk a little bit more about the the Napier Chrome Angel. Love Napier. Uh, what are their two? Na- they're both named Angels as well in the call signs at the yeah, end of the murder. Dallas Angel and right, Portland. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, but this beautiful thing where you're like introduced to Napier in the accident. He just has this insane chin. It's just the most incredible, like. Jaw. We lost him a couple years ago, but he was one of my favorite character actors. Always stuck out in any movie.
1: I knew him from. Here is how much he like stuck in my craw. I I knew he was familiar to me. Literally, the only thing I knew him from and was was trying to recall was a. FMV game called Spycraft the great Whoa, game never where he was like the it. director of the FBI uh, and he was like your mean boss basically great casting. Uh, perfect and he role. made such an impression from that I remembered him some you know 20 odd years later well
2: the thing that he stuck in my craw for at a young age was he plays the American general in, in Austin Powers, Austin Powers right. who has to oh, go yeah. and unfreeze oh, yeah. him uh, and sets yeah. him up on his mission but he's got the scene where they they call him and say like we found Dr. Evil uh, it's, it's Clint Howard calls yes. him and says, like, we found Dr. Evil on the radar. And it's, like, 17 split screens. It's, like, a bunch of little boxes. Yep. And he gives his directions where he's, like, uh, uh, feed my fish. Don't forget to tell my wife I'm missing. Pack my suitcase. And you see all the split screens of all the different actions. And then he says, I'm going to London, England. <laughs> and that line reading <laughs> of funny. London, England is a thing I – quote all the time. And I'm not even doing it consciously, but I just think it's funny. That's how you
3: say London comma England. Where I grew up, by the way. I'm sorry, what? Just getting that in there. Ben just... Wait a uh, second. What? Ben's here again. I
0: know, I know. I've been here the whole time. I just uh, was looking at... I've missed this.
1: I'm a long-time listener. I've never... And you've been, like, binging episodes. You've been listening to them
0: all
3: the time. We're talking England.
2: London England. (laughs) This is oh God. Just, I'm so sorry. Absolutely this has to crazy. happen in front know, of you. I know.
3: A brother would never pull this on <gasps> no, you.
2: No, it's fat. Amazing. This is like when you go over to someone's house for dinner and the family starts fighting. Their parents start yelling. The at British, them. One? <laughs> yeah, the British have, one? Yeah, the British one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My
3: God. One thing I want to yeah. point out
0: about so, Charles. So, like the Queen. Yeah. You, have you ever met her? Or like, no. do you? Okay, but do you? She walked
3: by me once. What? Okay. what? At VE Day. <laughs> okay, 1990 On vacation. Five. Wow! 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 (laughs) But do you are you like do you
0: pray to the Queen or whatever? Do you have like? Wait a second!
3: Now you're just asking comically
2: uninformed (laughs) questions about Britain. So you do tea time every hour on the (laughs) hour? Is that you guys barely even know what Britain is? I know London, England. (laughs) Oh boy! I know from England. Um, you know the one I get when people bring up London
1: uh, is the um, Dennis Farina and Snatch the bit where he's like. I'm coming to London you hear that Doug I'm coming to London I literally can't say if someone
3: mentions London I can't not do I'm coming to London you hear that Doug I just want to shout out my personal favorite Charles Napier Austin Powers line reading which is in I think the spy who shagged me uh-huh. he's in the scenes with Tim Robbins as the president right. and there's the thing where uh, uh, Tim Robbins is like what if we nuke the moon and he says like are you suggesting we blow up the moon sir that's the line and he's like would you miss it would you miss it It's a great line. (laughs) Are you suggesting we blow up the moon, sir?
2: Was Tim Robbins winning the Oscar for Mystic River a make-up for him not even being nominated in Spy Who Shagged Of course, (laughs) 100,000%. It's one of his better performances. And I'm not saying that in a backhanded way. He's really fucking good in Spy Who Shagged Robbins had
3: that run in the late 90s, like his his cameo in High Fidelity. Like He was a great firecracker cameo guy. And now I guess he just doesn't really do a lot of movies I, what the fuck is Tim Robbins even
2: doing uh well of course he's going to be our guest on the Melvin and Howard episode oh, boy, next week you can ask him directly <laughs> huge uh, please don't bring up the England stuff with him it will throw him off <laughs> um you, you know the other one that he has incredible cameo and in, and it's after that initial run but he's really fucking good in that what uh the Tenacious D movie
3: oh I've never he seen he has movie. the best scene in the movie yeah well there you go he has a cameo in Zathura he is a cameo, it's, of course, uh, in Anchorman.
2: Sathura is not a cameo. Well, it's
3: listed as a cameo on Wikipedia. He is the adult lead. Well, he is the parent. But he must be in like one or two scenes, right? He's bookending the picture. Right, right, right. But he is um, the emotional
2: core of the film. He's the heart of the news. film. Linda he's Carter He's funny Williams, in Anchorman. So. Remember that? Yeah, he's very funny. He's the PBS guy. What's your, what's your favorite uh, Robin's pop in? <laughs> Justin, you got a favorite Robin's pop? Um, Rob Pop. Uh, you, you got a Rob I Pop? I met you? him in real- uh, Rob. I met him in real life Did once you?
1: and he's yeah, it was I this is a 30 second Tim Robbins story. I know we have to talk about Last Embrace. Uh it was it was uh after Hamilton, I saw Tim Timbo there. And he <laughs> you said I, Timbo seen, and you gave him a big hug. I said right? Timbo. we both just seen Hamilton for the first time. Um it was my second it was Tim first. And uh, I was talking about how the teens were obsessed with Hamilton. Uh, in much the same way that uh, my generation was obsessed with Uh rent. I said, but they're getting the better end of the deal because they walk away from this with a functional knowledge of the American Revolution. And Tim Robbins said, Justin, your generation got something just as important from rent. I said, what's that, Tim? He said... Empathy. <laughs> and it was the most fucking Tim Robbins. I was, I was shit. waiting for anything like anything a joke. Done, and I couldn't believe, I couldn't fathom that it was Tim Robbins not doing a Tim Robbins SNL oh, wow. impression Jeez. or something.
2: It was amazing. Can I tell my 30 second Tim Robbins story? Everybody's got one. My my, my <laughs> first real acting job I got, not counting uh, uh, the buried secret of M. Night Shyamalan sure. because I was cut out of it. Right. Uh, Was a pilot that that Tim Robbins uh, directed? Oh, right, right, for Showtime. Yeah, uh, that our friend Matt Patches uh, was a PA on. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the Gravity guy, right? (laughs) That guy. different show. Oh, different show. Okay, different show. Uh, This was a Tim Robbins pilot called Possible Side Effects. That was about it was like a Succession, but with the pharma industry. Great. Where it was a family, like an old money power family. Sounds like a real barn burner. It was Ellen Burstyn. Love her. Try Silence. Try Silence. Uh, try uh, silence. Josh Lucas. Tim Blake Nelson. This is the one that she insisted she wasn't in. Correct. She right? told me she was not in this. Okay. <laughs> she said, you have me mistaken <laughs> with someone else. Could it have been Ellen Barkin? Is that I'm possible? 100% certain it was wasn't Ellen the Burstyn. Wasn't it Barker? No, absolutely not. She wasn't off the leash? I, I just want to remember. Three projects I was in with her, she does not <laughs> remember the first two, despite, I think, winning an Emmy for the second. <laughs> anyway. She's lousy with Emmys. She, she uh, uh, This pilot never went. It never aired, but I was not cut out of it, and I played uh, the young stoner boy in it. Sure. Um, I was invited over to his place for rehearsals. And I got outside- Is this like in Manhattan? In, Manhattan. in Manhattan. I will not divulge the, the exact location, although I don't think he uh, owns this place anymore. Sure, sure. But I got to the buzzer board, it's right? A, it's 123 Tim Robbins Avenue, just FYI. I got to the buzzer board- <laughs> right, right, right. Outside right, this right. building, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the names on the board was uh, T. Dobbins. Okay. And I went, well, very famous people <laughs> don't want their name being publicly visible right. on a buzzer board- <laughs> So, I assume that this is the world's worst cover name. Right. He has literally just changed one letter. That'll fool him. So, I sent a text to be like, I just want to double check. Right. T. It Dobbins. It's right. apartment eight, T. Dobbins, right? right? Right. And the response was, no, it's apartment nine, Jack Malarkey, or whatever. <laughs> he just happens to live next to a T. Dobbin? Whose first name is Tim. <laughs> He lives directly How next How have to we never
3: done a Robin's Corner before?
2: This is gold. He lives directly above a man who is one letter off from his name, and he's got some completely false name on the buzzer board. And
3: so you got into this apartment, and who's there? Ellen Burstyn. Josh Lucas. Eva Murray. Maybe Ellen Burstyn. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson, you yeah. said. Uh, Kimberly Quinn. R- R- Remy Auberjonois. yes. Uh I feel there's another there's um, some really big ones.
2: Uh the, the Sarita Chowdhury I was about to say that was the name I was trying um, to pull. Um I feel like there's another uh uh Jason Butler Hartner. Sure. It was a really stacked cast. Everyone was like, this thing is solid cast. So Betty growing. Gilpin? Betty Gilpin? Young Betty Gilpin. Uh all my friends were like, You are a TV star now because you play the stoner. Best right. friend of the young son. Uh I was a stoner who played the theremin Oh, sure. Okay. And that, that came about me. because Robbins was like, do you play any instruments? And I was like, no. And he was like, really, nothing? And I was like, nothing. And he was like, fuck, we're going to have to come up with something for you to fake. And I was like, haha, like the theremin. And okay. he went, that's funny, but, I mean, we'll have to come up with a serious answer. <laughs> and then I showed up on set, and there was a theremin. Sure. And they asked me to play it. Right. Don't you just sort of go like... That's what I thought. No, David is my
3: hands around. waving
2: his hands like a moron, and I thought <laughs> what? I, I thought I can just wave my hands like a moron, and unlike the guitar where no. people will know my finger plates. It's a real are instrument. Wrong. Yeah, so uh, it's one of the worst scenes that any actor has ever done, which is me pretending to be stoned, laughing at my theremin playing, and I am unconvincing at both things,
0: acting <laughs> stoned and
2: playing the theremin. Sure. I could do both those things great. Yeah, I know you could. You should have played the part. Yeah. Because because Justin's spotlighting these scenes of like surprising emotional poignancy in this movie, right? He's like Mark Ruffalo. Justin's like Mark Ruffalo. He's
0: spotlighting it.
2: Spotlight. They knew! It. They knew these scenes were poignant. Justin knew! <laughs> I knew! Yeah, you know. So is this kind of where it devolves
1: into? Am I at the peak of the the James L. Brooke years? Is kind of the peak of the show, right? And
3: that's oh, yeah. this show is awful. Off.
2: Yeah, it's terrible. We recorded okay. our last okay. Emmy
3: episode. I think it was. It's
2: terrible, right? right? You uh, you tried to save it, and the computer spat it back out. At it you. did win a couple Obies. They're <laughs> <pre-release. laughs> right. uh it's Star of Tomorrow. Um, no, just just you started listening to the show in like the last six months and have been binging through it, but you're like a year yeah. behind, and you don't understand that. That, uh, we have cratered. <laughs> oh, perfect. Okay. Good.
3: Yeah, you're hitching your ride to a meteor. <laughs> I don't like this bit. I think if oh, anything, oh, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. I'm like kidding. a fine wine. Okay, mm. it's a fine wine or a rare cheese. Yes. Stinky. Uh,
2: okay. What I was gonna say. David's waving his hand. No, i of playing the ceremony again. Okay. <laughs> That was a good joke. <laughs> and now he's pointing.
1: Oh, my God. They, okay, everybody mark your calendars. That's the first visual gag in
3: podcast <laughs> history
2: to ever made. <laughs> I can't yeah, believe he it. did that thing like a meteor. <laughs> that was actually, that was the first time that someone has done a physical joke that is based off of someone describing the thing they're doing to, to alley-oop themselves <laughs> to negate the description. That's why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> You're right. Yes. You know what, Justin? You're coming on this podcast at just the right moment. We're <laughs> back, baby. <laughs> We're peeking We're again. We're back. Oh, boy. <laughs> Paula Mad <Matt> style. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, what I was going to say is uh, uh, you you meet Napier. He's in the turned-over truck, and then he's an injured man, right? Yeah. And here's this guy who's, like, the most sort of, like, square-jawed, right. like, Heartland boy. America sort of dude. Playing this sort of, like, like wistful, like, I got a second chance at life. I just realized how close to death I came. Mm. I'm reevaluating everything. Uh, and you see him explaining all of this with a prostitute he frequents mm-hmm. uh, on the side of the road whose name is Hot Coffee. That's her handle because her trademark is she gives you a cup of coffee afterwards. Hey. And this lovely scene where they're undressing, getting ready to uh, make love. Hey. And while they're doing it, she's asking him what kind of cup of coffee he's going to want afterwards. Right. And then it just fades Mm. into the coffee cup, which is sort of a sweet thing. And he starts just sort of explaining everything to her. And she's talking about how her business is failing and she doesn't know what to do and the market's done and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. What's the other – she gives off another explanation. Oh, it's a construction. The road's leading to her house. They built too much else on the other side of the highway and so no one's going to come her way anymore. And he decides to buy her a camper, right. so that she can be a, a mobile prostitute, right. which is kind of this like touching act of just like kindness, where he's like sex worker, sex worker. Uh, where, where he's just like, uh, you know, you'll pay me off, whatever. It's cheaper than whatever. You know, I owe you. When you're on the road this long, you forget about the embrace of a woman. And you're like, what a kind of sad character. Here's a man who has no love in his life sure. and has this, like, emotional affair with this sex worker who he also then has sex with. But he's really invested in her. And then you meet these two women mm-hmm. who are waiting at a truck stop mm-hmm. for their husband to show up. Right. Who is constantly on the road, and the one woman talks about how she knows that her husband's cheating on her, and the one woman's sort of flighty and more superficial, and the other woman has this like emotional base, and then you know it seems like they're oil and vinegar, but they start to bond over like, well, we both have the same kind of experience, right. and then there's this like pocket drop scene where they're sitting on the bus, and she talks about finding out that her husband was having an affair, mm-hmm. realizing there was another woman, and the night that her husband performed cunnilingus on her. And it's described as that thing that we all like but never want to say that we like. And he usually only does it on our birthdays. But that night wasn't my birthday, which I think is a pretty. It's a nice write around. It's a nice write around. And she performs it with this sort of like not self-pitying but this sort of like far-off look in her eye where she's explaining like this one night where he was so fully the husband I wanted in every sense that he was so emotionally attentive and physically attentive and there for me. And then the next morning, he just sort of rode off into the sunset again. And I, like, I don't know why I didn't leave him. Right. I was so right. angry at myself right. for falling for his kindness right. and not having the backbone to leave him. Right. And then when they decide to exchange photos, they realize it's the same man. Right. But you've defined the dynamic between the two of them, which is one of them is really affected by this. And it's, like, really considering, you know, the, the, the state of her relationship. And the other one has never suspected that her husband has done anything right. untoward. Meanwhile, they're both married to him, both have children, and then they sort of flip positions where the flighty one is now like totally emotionally distraught Mm -hmm. in every sense. We just became friends. Do you hate me now? Am I the enemy? I can't possibly be that other woman, could I? Because we were married. It's not an affair. Uh, And then the other one starts to try to reason with the thing and try to get revenge. They release all the cows. Uh, he writes them a note yep. that's like, I understand why you were mad at me. <laughs> the cow prank was unfortunate. Let's sit through and talk through this. And Hot Coffee functions as their like marriage counselor. Yeah, she's like the mediator. In the RV that he bought for her. And they all go like, I don't know. Should we just try? Let's just do all three. Try to be a big family right. unit. Like a really nice kind of, you know. This
3: is when I was like, maybe this is a good movie. This movie's got,
2: and it's one of these Demi things. I just
3: didn't really care about the Lamatt stuff. So anytime we were going back to that, I was kind of like zoning out again.
2: I didn't either. uh, I I care about his dad far more than him. Yeah, sure. McGill's performance is more interesting. Well, McGill's invented acting. Right. McGill, (laughs) the father of acting. the inventor of acting. I think either one of these could have worked as its own.
3: Yes,
1: fit, right? Like in in a world where the CB elements were kind of scaled
2: down a little bit, and it was more about the characters. Like, there's something there. It's just two different yes, movies. but because this movie is so scatter shot and sort of like unfocused, and it's two movies wedged together, I did not expect that this movie had a Chekhov's gun. Mm-hmm. That it was going to pay off in the final moment where all threads perfectly tied together. Right. Which is, of (laughs) course, Paul Lamette's depressed father is the only one who can rescue the cows that Napier's wives, plural, unleashed. And it ends with just everyone laughing. Like it's the end of Rat Race and everyone's triumphant dancing to All Star. Right. Yeah, but you know what's interesting about that last scene? Everyone physically in the same place. Yes, the only time. The only time. time. Um, Um, So that's Citizen's Band. Thank you for bringing up Rat Race. Uh, Anytime. Does it have? It's (laughs) a race. No. There's no box office office. for either of these. Okay. Um, We might do the years at the end of the episode. Yeah. Have we done 77 before? I don't think we have. I have no idea what's the top movie of 77. So the second film is called. (laughs) (laughs) It's the year punk broke. Oh, that's probably the answer. (laughs) It's Punk the movie. All right. Last
3: Embrace. So. Right, written by David Shaber. Based, based on a novel, uh, the novel The Thirteenth Man by Murray T. Blue.
2: Now, Justin, you had a, a, a line uh, via text <laughs> yeah. about this movie being yeah. based off a novel.
1: Uh, that sounds like me. Yeah, what'd I say?
2: Uh, I'm sorry. It was You were relaying your wife's line. It was, my wife said, I love old books, but when your nail-biting thriller includes multiple library visits, <laughs> something has gone wrong. <laughs>
1: There are no fewer. <laughs> There's at least two, and depending on how you count, three scenes where advancing the plot is handled by going to the library, and not like in a fun, no. uh,
2: uh, uh, you know, uh,
1: what's the Tom Hanks,
2: a Da Vinci Code? Um, sure, right? Yeah, not like in a Da Vinci Code kind of dramatic, not like a John visit Wick library like shootout. No, sequence, it's not an Indiana right? Jones exactly. like I love history thing. It's like he's like, I got to get to the library, and then it crossfades to him talking to another old Jew. Oh,
3: God. There's so much great old Jew content in this movie. Now,
2: this is the thing. I did not expect this to be such a Judaic thriller.
3: (laughs) But it's – here's my complaint –
1: should you describe it broadly, since no one can? Yes. Watch yeah, I will it. describe
3: it broadly, but for, it's not Judaic enough. It should be more Judaic. Is the idea because this movie I found very confusing? You sure? Is the idea oh, that- this, well? Apparently, I've been I bought a book about Demi, like the only book I could mm-hmm. find about him, and apparently, like this is one of those classic. Like the script wasn't really done, you know. Like it, it was a disastrous production. Scheider wasn't into it, so I think like. It's a bit of a half-assed movie in that regard,
2: right? And it's him. It's fascinating. No, what were you going to oh, say? Sorry,
3: yeah.
1: sorry, it's fast. It's it's what's interesting to me about Last Embrace is, and this is, I think this is like specific to the thriller, or you know, thriller slash mystery genre, is that two thirds of the way into the movie. I didn't know if it was working or not because it all kind of depended on where everything was going. Because right. the, the cards are right. held back, it's like, maybe this is going to land. Did I don't it land? Know. Like, it may it may very well land, uh, land where it's going for. And you don't realize until the film's over, it's like, oh...
2: it lands at the bottom of Niagara Falls, on uh, onto jagged rocks. That's the other thing: is that the poster makes it feel like, oh, is this movie going to be like fucking runaway train? Yeah, right. Is this going to be some propulsive like epic landscape thriller? I was like, we got
3: Roy Scheider. It looks like a Hitchcock movie. Jonathan Demme's behind the camera. Like this looks like fun. Right. And it begins with like his
2: wife getting murdered in a restaurant with him, which he's having as a nightmare. Which is one of the cool sort of director flourishes in the movie, is the nightmare is... Uh, it, it's real. It's real, right. but also he does it with crossfades from every piece of coverage. Right. So from the opening scene, you're like, something weird is going on yeah. here. It doesn't feel surreal in a way that tells you it's a dream sequence, but it's clear that something Something's, unnatural is yeah, going on. Right, right. And it's him reliving mm. the night that his wife died. Right. And that, that's a good...
3: I assume when this starts I'm like, oh, okay, maybe this is like a revenge thriller about... Uh, him chasing the killers of his wife or maybe this is like right. about him figuring
2: out he's a weird you know, government agent he took his wife with him on assignment he was being targeted right and in, he in, got uh, killed as collateral damage yeah, yeah, yes yeah. and uh, as this film starts he has spent the last five months in a mental hospital trying to recover from the trauma of his wife's death right None of that has anything to do with the rest of the movie. Well, at the beginning, I was like, is this one of those movies where a guy is convinced that he's being followed right, right. and the whole movie is and there's about. there's that very
3: early sequence where right. he's on the subway platform yeah. and he thinks he's being like someone's trying to push him and it's all in his head.
2: Which I love. Yep. This is one of that my favorite subgenres of movies, which is person thinks they're in a movie. Right. You know, like it, this is Roy Scheider as a guy who thinks he's in the middle of like a John Le Carré novel, right, right. and really he's just suffering he's from just trauma. Going mad. Right.
1: That uh, brief bit where he thought someone pushed him off is amazing because it's uh it's Mandy Patinkin. Yes is the one that he thinks pushes him off. And it's one of those like fun, like, oh, weird. Is this weird? It's like seeing Maya Rudolph in his <laughs> right, music. Right. It. like just pops up like, oh, weird. That's Mandy Patinkin. And then the fucking dad from ALF comes and saves yes. saves yeah. the day. Max Wright comes out of nowhere to save Mandy Patinkin's life. Both men are that excuse right. from the film.
0: For
3: I the could duration, follow them. So they strange. sound like great leads so, for a
2: Judeo-thriller. Right. Well, both men had hard outs. Uh, <laughs> right. Mandy Patinkin uh, right. needed to be wrapped by noon so that he could uh, sing the entire Sondheim book. And uh, the entire songbook, <laughs> and Max Wright needed to go back to working with a fucking puppet. To have, to I, what's to what you're saying though about the,
1: the, the it, What's frustrating about this movie is that there's that like this idea of like you know maybe it's on his head that he's being followed, and he has the reason that he it has the secret agent right. stuff. Like, maybe it's, like, a some enemy or his employers or something trying to take him out. And then there's the stuff with, it, like, the 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 sort of uh, paranoia and anxiety mm-hmm. he's still dealing with as a result of what happened to his wife. And then it turns out what is actually happening to him has nothing to do with either right. of those. That's like, what's it's a complete, frustrating. It, it's, like, fake tension that they've ginned up from Which nowhere. Which
2: feels like probably Demi was, like, this is a more interesting movie. This is a more interesting exercise as a director to, like, go in the head of someone dealing with that kind of paranoia and skepticism around every about everything around him but that is not what the the story inherently is because the story is a weird secret cabal of uh, Jewish uh, pimps who use their Zee sex McDowell, workers which is a real thing. To, to kill, is the implication that Roy Scheider is the child of Nazis? No, no,
3: no, no, no. Okay, so you no, really, so Griffin he, was watching this movie as he came into the I had technical uh, difficulties. Studio.
2: I watched the last 30 okay. minutes here in the studio. He,
3: Roy Scheider, it turns out, is descended from right. members of Z McDowell, which was a sort of like prostitution ring, In, like, turn-of-the-century America. Okay. Consisting of uh, Jews, usually Polish Jews, I think, who would, like, traffic people. You know, like, they would sort of steal people from... um, uh, other countries, bring them to America, and put them into like sex slavery.
2: Right, which This is explains. a real thing. Right. right. And it's still happening to Janet Margolin even as late well, she as- She was a victim of this. Right. Right.
3: And she's holding him responsible because his, it turns no, out- No, no, she wasn't. Her grandma, grandma was. was. Oh, right, okay, right, right. okay. Her grandma was. But she's holding yes. him responsible because his grandpa was one of the bad guys. Right. And she's the one who's been killing people as part of this sort of avenging- Right journey. I got that it was part of the
2: grandpa thing. Right, right, right.
3: Simultaneously, there's that, also like a secret, the secret agents are also kind of trying to kill him, putting like cyanide pills yeah, in his prescription his bottles. Agency. Right. But like that seems unrelated. The, the,
1: so the cyanide was Janet Marlin, I right. yeah, think. That's right, you're right, you're right. She she cups cups you're right. You're right, you're, right. you're, her, right. you're, right. you're but, right. But Charles Napier does show up as the brother of his wife the, his wife's brother, his deceased wife's brother, who says he's just checking up on them for the agency that apparently they yeah, both right. work and for. And he holds
3: um, Scheider responsible for like getting his sister, Scheider's wife, killed right, bringing her along. But are they both at the same job? I don't know. The thing is, the reason I thought the cyanide was the CIA is because you don't learn what I just described, that you know, um, yeah. Janet Margolin is the... <laughs> Actual villain until twenty minutes before the movie's less, over. Less, yeah, and right. so and there's so
1: much that's such a big it idea, is. and it takes no. She time just has to just say to it. Yeah, exactly. This idea that like I'm visit, like I am avenging, like you know the whole like sins of the father thing, and also like the idea of uh, prostitution and what these people went through. None of it is like unpacked no. or dealt with in any way. No, shape she or essentially one.
2: has one big monologue that is all retro exposition to make sense of what you've watched up until that point. Right. Then they have the titular last embrace yes. and then she knees Roy Scheider in the balls and he <laughs> has a full-on He goes like, "Ooh, dog ass. <laughs> <Right. laughs> okay, can we, we talk about it.
1: this? It is one of the wildest things I've ever seen in a movie, okay? She impacts the yes. whole finale. They're both there. At Niagara yes. Falls, okay? She impacts the entire And we've seen story. the poster. We know all, this is going to end right, with them no, dangling Someone's going it. to dangle all card, yes. yes. All the cards are on the table. And then she meets him <laughs> in the box. <laughs> he goes full home alone for what felt like seven minutes, just like lying on the ground, hoping Darwin jumps out of Niagara Falls to save him, and... Fucking there is then the most boring chase I've ever seen in my entire life that involves I shit you not them joining a Niagara (laughs) Falls tour group. In the ch- middle of the chase. It's like the steamroller bit from Austin Powers of
2: It's foot not the chases. most thrilling. It is like foot un- chase but powerful. it's also incredible that they each end up in a different tour group. So you're cross cutting between two banal tour groups. Yes. Like the yes. way they're like ratcheting tension it's is going from one tour guide to another tour guide. You know that? You know, people kinda tra- trying to Looking crane over their neck each over each a other crowd in like a group. Where where'd she go? Where'd she go? Uh, ben please pull the audio clip of Roy Scheider getting hit in the nuts because A I mean the visual of it is incredible he does do we'll a full find it for you, like America's okay. Funniest Home Video like <laughs> dad getting hit with the Nerf bat sort of lean in like he, he does everything but go cross eyed right <laughs> but then he is an actor of like such weight
3: he and, is he's and, such an intense actor even That's the thing. he's not even trying that hard in this movie he's still just freaking scary he's, scary. he's such a classic 70 Leading man in that you're like, is he about to like beat this person up? Like he just feels like someone will slap you in the face and be like, get out of here. <laughs> uh, he is doing at
1: uh, Roy Schneider is doing a uh a a game <laughs> job keeping this film like even the least possible. Yeah. Because like there are moments where it's like nothing is happening, but he Roy is putting in a lot of effort to keep things feel like he acts so tense that it seems like he's in a better as, movie. Like he seems
2: wow, he's really he's really. As Vincent about can be this. said
3: in the New York Times, I was going to quote: No this. leading actor can create so
2: much tension out of such modest material. I was trying to figure out like how to sum up what Roy Scheider's thing was, and that yeah. really is that there is something so tense about him. It's he's. It's why he's so good in Jaws. He's sort of secretly my favorite. Yeah, in Jaws. Even though I love all three of those performances. Well, and like. John Jaws is the closest that anyone ever came to making him, like, an acceptable movie star. Because post-Jaws, everyone was like, this guy's a leading man. He was right. in Jaws, the biggest movie ever. Right. And audiences never warmed to him in the same kind of no, way again. because he's frightening. That's the thing. And, like, Jaws, Spielberg was like, I'm going to make this frightening guy work as hard as he can to try to seem nice and charming. He's the normal one in Jaws. And like, the, with the nerd and the psycho, and he's kind of the cheese guy. The nice you know? thing is you have the scenes where he's, like, bonding with his children and then he stands up and walks to a corner and you're like this guy's haunted right like there's some weird thing here I mean to give you a little run of his you know he's a terrific
3: actor he he was an amateur boxer he was he, he served, served, he served, in, the served in the air force, air force so, so he's right, like
2: yeah. a fucking tough guy. He is.
3: And then he becomes like a Shakespearean actor. He wins an Obie award, just like Blank Check the Podcast. Of course. Um, his big breakout role is uh, 71. He's in Clute, and he's in The French Connection. Right. He gets an Oscar nomination for The Grand French Connection. He's and, really good in that movie. But that's
2: one of those performances where it's, it's like, a
3: pretty. I mean, obviously, Gene Hackman is going big in that right. movie, and he's pretty quiet. He's the
2: partner. Yeah. He doesn't have a big emotional arc. Yeah. He doesn't have a big breakdown scene. Right. He gets an Oscar nomination because at this point in time, that kind of performance was stunning. Yeah. For someone to be like that real and that gritty and that intense. And then he's around and in 75 he does Jaws. Right. Huge. seventy six, biggest. Literally the biggest. Right. In 76 he does
3: Marathon Man which he is like a supporting character in, but that's a big movie. Yes. In 77 he does Sorcerer the okay. greatest blank jack of all time.
2: He also yes right which uh Uh, uh, He's the lead of that. He's the lead of that. And Friedkin always uh, says uh, it was the biggest mistake he ever made in his career. Uh, In that— Friedkin's so mean. Right. He was like—have you ever seen Sorcerer, Justin? Sorcerer fucking rules. It's one of the tensest movies ever made. It's essentially just an exercise in sustained tension, which is like five really fucking like creepy and shady guys all get sent to the jungle through separate means— On a mystery mission, which is transport a bunch of wet dynamite through the jungle. Hell yeah. And the movie is they got a truck. They're in, like, the swamp of—are they in Costa Rica? Uh, I think it was South America. Uh, Let me look it up. But they just – they got a truck full of wet dynamite and they're trying to figure out how to move that truck over an incredible amount of land with as little movement as possible. Uh, Yes. And Uh, it's incredible. And the whole movie is just close-ups. Mexico. Mexico, Mexico, sorry, of Roy Scheider being really worried that dynamite's about to go off and kill them all, kill the entire cast at any single moment. And the studio really wanted Freak and coming off of – Exorcist and French Connection this like incredible run to cast um, uh, fucking Steve McQueen and he was like, Roy Scheider's mm. a real actor. I don't want to work with a movie star. Roy Scheider's got the goods. I'm hiring him. Right. And he's like, I think it's my best movie. Roy Scheider gave an incredible performance and it didn't fucking matter right. because I, I didn't have star. a movie star. Right. And for that premise and like that bleak of film, you needed a movie star. And he's like, one close-up of Steve McQueen would have given me the like sort right. of spoonful of sugar to right. sell an audience on the entire thing. Right. And Roy Scheider is mm. just kind of too prickly. Yeah. And then Roy Scheider does all all that jazz, which is like—well, that's the same year as this, right? that's his best performance agreed gets an Oscar nomination it's an incredible performance and he's kind of playing against type yeah he's playing Bob Fosse right but he's also yeah. playing an asshole the entire performance yeah, is Bob this Fosse guy was an asshole sucks right. he's an asshole he's abusive to everyone in his life right. but he's an incredible artist and everyone hates that he gets away with it right. and the movie is about him fucking dying and uh, a chorus celebrating it right. in his in his like fantasy his you know half dead brain he's fantastic in that movie and for some reason that was the end of him
3: that's what I was gonna I say I mean in the 80s he's like he's in movies like he's in 2010 which is a weird ass you know sequel to but 2001 but at that point he's
2: kind of done it's like that's his last like big sort of major role and that yeah. movie is like successful people don't like it yeah and I don't then, know what just cause you guys talk about movies doesn't mean you can sit here and dismiss sequels well, DSV well right for three years I did the watch sea. that and into That's adventure. the thing is, like, throughout the 80s, his career is, like, not great, right? And it's, like uh, – like, 52 Pickup is probably, like, his best uh, of the decade. Yeah, and the it's Frankenheimer movie? Right, and Ann it's, like, Margaret, a programmer right. with, like, Anne Margaret, but yeah. it's, like, a good whatever, right? Yeah. But then after, like, the 80s being shitty where it's, like, oh, he's, like, the grown-up in Listen to Me, which is otherwise sort of, like, a sub-brat-pack, yeah. like, dramedy with Kirk Cameron – uh, then he just is like, cool, I'm on, like, an afternoon syndicated uh, underwater adventure series. Right. And that's, like, his career now.
3: But he famously, while on Sequest VS- DSV, like, went to the press and was like, this show is a piece of shit. I hate it. Right.
2: And it was, like, very successful. I think, so. he, I think he's just a grump. Well, he's dead now. Uh, was a grump. Uh, But it was, Was yeah, a very successful show that could have given him a new audience and instead he, like, hated it. Uh, It did give us one of the greatest gifts in culture, which is a Roy Scheider action figure, uh, a thing he probably burned. Um, But but (laughs) this movie is coming at, like, the tail end – the dolphin's name was Darwin, oh, of by the way. That's why I said Darwin earlier, because I said Dar-
1: after he got kicked in the ball, he was waiting for Darwin to come and jump in. Oh, Darwin I get it now. And Justin, that's stupid, really funny, funny. And I
2: wish I were your brother, because if I were your brother, I would have gotten that. Brothers get each other's drugs. What about two friends? It's irrelevant, though. Yeah. It didn't work. We, Shut up! I came on hoping to
1: get uh, some number of comedy points awarded to me, and I feel like I put myself no, in the negatives
2: I'm, I'm with my with my
1: terrible. I'm going to give DSV. you ten for
2: the Darwin joke. Mm. I don't didn't do, get it at the time. You he doesn't want give me points pity after I points. Ask for them. Absolutely okay. not. I do not want to give, give you five pity points, but I'll retract the comedy points
1: in the edit. Go back and listen. Maybe your head was in the right space to get I points.
2: It. Okay. See- but, okay, but I'm, my head's on a swivel looking for an opportunity to hand out some points. You know what else is Thank weird you. about Nice sure. Embrace? What? Christopher Walken's in it. In like. For like.
3: That in, is re- weird. This is the year after he wins an Oscar. Yes. He'd won an Oscar. A 1970 you know for a 1978 movie right he's a good actor yes he's in this for two scenes he's like yeah go kill that guy like two, doesn't do anything two
2: scenes that both take place with him sitting behind a desk on the phone so they probably were shot back to back he probably was on set for four hours yeah he gets the and in the billing but it's not a substantial enough role for it to be like oh we got like an academy award winner to be the heavy for a few scenes right and it's also mm-hmm. not like small enough that it's a Cameo, like no. it's a weird. He's like third build. He gets the end. <laughs> he gets the end. You're right. You're right.
1: Yeah, but it's it's also such a weird fit for a mystery thriller totally. like this because he sh- he's so weird, um, tick- so yeah. yes. ticky that you assume that there's something like oh I wonder what this well, guy's up he's there. like this guy seems like he's definitely at that up to point in something. the
2: movie you're supposed to be questioning whether this is all in Roy Scheider's head right. and then you have the character that is sort of. Contextualized as being his boring boss is the weirdest actor alive. Right. It's like right. Christopher Walken in like normal garb, right. like oh here's a mustache and boring glasses and a suit on Christopher Walken. He's a normal guy now, right? Yeah. And he's going like, look, you know, the trans with your wife die, you know, what to tell you, and then he's gone. Yeah. You see one scene where he's conspiring. Yeah. That's it, basically. Right? Yeah. And it turns out he doesn't matter. It, doesn't, it all turns out it doesn't matter. The Charles Napier
3: character, the brother-in-law, Yeah, there's like a shootout with him. But I could barely understand why yes. they're fucking shooting each other. Uh, he se- It seemed
1: like it was because... He had reacted so. It's because okay, he's like so
3: investigating the murders. The brother, Dave goes to right. check
1: up on him, and he pulls a gun on Dave when Dave just has like some right. chips right. or something. He right. does not have a gun. He pulls a gun on Dave. Dave dips, and I think what I, what was implied was that because of that, he went back and told the bosses, "Like, hey, he's off, he's right. off the rails. We gotta we gotta, we gotta get gotta rid of it, this guy. Right, bring right, him right. down." Uh, which is a wild person, by the way, to send to check up on the <laughs> yes, mental health. Exactly. Roy Scheider, by the way, very bad government organization. That's a, an unbiased observer that you send And also, like, one base. of the most
2: triggering people for Roy Scheider to have to see sure. again. Because he's like, okay, I know I was just in, like, a sanitarium for months and months and months. But right. I'm ready to get back to totally normal life. Right. And instead his work is like, we still think you're crazy. We're going to send people to check your craziness. And the brother-in-law shows up and is like, you're responsible for my sister, your wife's death. And there's a lady living in his apartment, Janet Margolin, who thinks that he's an intruder and he has to prove he's not by kicking the floorboards in a way that gets the fridge to work properly. But then he very quickly explains, oh, when I'm away on assignment, they sometimes sublet my apartment to other people. And she was like, well, they said you were going to be gone indefinitely. And he's like, that's not true. Let's just be roommates. Yeah, it's like the
1: goodbye you know girl. How hard up? Do you know how hard up for cash your secret organization has to be? That you every time your secret agent leaves the country, you send. Yeah,
3: I, I forgot how ludicrous out. that plot like, explanation of right. why she's do in you his send apartment people is. In to yeah,
2: out. get all the secrets. It and is. is you have to, to, to squeeze secrets. every extra. Du- are your are your agents <laughs> also working as like rideshare drivers? It's, <laughs> what the fuck is this rinky-dink operation? It, it's. I mean, yeah.
3: It is literally the premise of The Goodbye Girl, which is probably like the same year. Yes. Which is like, we're both, we're like double booked to live in the same apartment. I guess we got to live together. Right. (laughs) Except in this one, they fall in love while he investigates the Jewish
2: Avenger murders of various other people. Because she hands him a note that is written in Hebrew, which he brings to a rabbi played by the mayor of Ghostbusters. Yes. Yes. Uh, David Uh, Margulies. Love that guy. uh, Who then, like, breaks it down for him but says, like, these two letters don't mean anything. Right, right, That's an M and a Z. They must be someone's initials. Right. So then this gets to the library thriller aspect of this movie. Yeah, then he goes
3: to see John Glover. He has to keep
2: on seeing Jewish intellectuals to have them make sense of these
3: notes. And they talk about, like, the Avenger of Blood, Goel. Right. uh, Who is a, you know, biblical... It's like, I don't know, angry
2: Avenger type. But then when, when he kills Charles Napier, then Sam Levine, not the same, not Little Wolverine, yeah, uh, comes out and goes like, oh, Gavolt, you murdered the guy. <laughs> and he was like, who are you? What are you doing here? And he was like, I'm from the good Jews trying to make sure that you don't get in trouble with the bad Jews, but I don't know what's going on at all. And then they become like, it becomes a buddy picture. Yeah. He's like his sidekick. The way he
1: the way he finds out about this, by the way, is that it so he gets this note that has the the Hebrew on it. He goes to a rabbi who translates it for him. And then as he's leaving, that rabbi calls well, I I have to assume just yeah. other Jews, like the good Jews right. basically, and is like, "Hey, listen. We've got we've, we've got, got a, a situation. goel
2: on our hands. So, like, yeah.
1: the implication is that they uh, like all the good Jews know each other and are like in a secret secret. It's, uh, it's like the society of
2: cross keys from the Grand Budapest Hotel. Right. Like, there's like a right. network of the most moral Jews, <laughs>
3: oh, God. of which there yes. are many. But then, okay, look, this whole movie's going on with all this shit. Ben, by the way, is asleep. Ben is right asleep now. I'm yeah yeah. Uh, I don't have anything uh, to add. This no, movie just, is hard to talk about. I mean, yeah. you guys are doing a good job. So. Um, um, Keep at it. Eventually, mm-hmm. eventually, 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 we cut to this scene of Janet Margolin suddenly dressed up in like a sort of lacy, sexy mm-hmm. getup. Yeah. Sex murdering someone in a bathtub. In a hotel with a view <laughs> of, of, of. Niagara Falls. Right. And to the point that I was like, did I miss 20 minutes of movie? <laughs> what is this? It's We such, hard cut and, to it. And she is such a
1: sort of. Non-descript. Yeah, I'm like, is this oh, Janet you know, Margolin?
3: Or is this the same person? Yes, right. Are we cutting no, to an entirely or, or new or person? Not. And this is supposed to be the devastating reveal
2: of the movie. It's like, it turns out it's been yes. her all along. She was a fine actress and a handsome woman. Yeah, I got kind of beef with Janet Margolin. There Marklin. is something very generic looking about her. Yeah. And this movie twice asks you to identify that it's the same character you've met when she's dressed totally different. In a totally different scene, in a totally different location, right. and then also to recognize her when uh, uh, fucking uh, Scheider recognizes her in a photo, right? In which they zoom into the photo and you go, "Oh, I, guess oh, that's, that's her." Janet right. Martin.
3: wasn't she like Eighth Building Annie Hall?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, I, yeah, it's it. I really, I was watching the scene, and my wife and I were both looking at each other, like, "Is that?" Is it the same... If it's not the same lady, I I don't know what... There's going (laughs) to file corruption along the way because there is no reason. And then, okay, the weirdest thing about the sex murder, um, among the weirder things about the sex murder, is that the... (laughs) The sex murder is she gets on top of him in the bathtub and then... Drowns him in yes. the bathtub, and it, there isn't like a secret. Like she, didn't no, she doesn't, she not
3: pull any weird you know, tricks. No. Poison. She, she just like knife sits on didn't top didn't have, of him until he drowns.
2: <laughs> and <laughs> and drowns him it's It's like bathtub. playful until it isn't. Like yeah. it seems like he's into drown play. Yeah. <laughs> until she just holds yes. him back a little too long. Yeah. Look, we've all fooled around with a little
1: drown play, obviously. But then, the, and the, there is no. By the way, it is not explained there ha- this is part the part that's very confusing to me and you know i i had dismissed i know her grandmother was definitely right. part of the the the,
2: the they syphilis her thing. to death in a very very upsetting explanation yes
1: yes i don't know if this woman was or not because what is confusing to me is that she does have sex that's my with confusion. this guy and then murders him it makes a- no sense and then sense. that
2: photo like, it looks like her and the other two women are sex workers it feels like this but it's a really old right. photo. It's like black and white
1: daguerreotype. <laughs> it's like what I don't understand. Did Roy Schneider know that 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 she was involved because she looks so much yeah. like her grandmother? Is I that what so. we're supposed to?
2: But that was supposed to be her grandmother in the photo. I, I I'm deeply I confused guess? by this movie. Uh, but yes I mean, yeah, yes her, that was her grandmother her sex scene with Roy Scheider comes after we've seen her sex murder another man correct right? almost immediately after almost immediately after and then she goes back she home and, ready, and she's like you know what I'm ready to make love to
3: you right She then she's ready the to murder now. him and he's figured out who she is and she's like But I really like you, so I don't actually want to murder you. Yeah. And then, of course, there's only one way to resolve this. Throw her down Niagara Falls. Roll credits. Goodbye. (laughs) Like, like that's the thing with the movie where you're like, I have a lot to unpack. And the movie's like, get out of (laughs) here. The next showing's in 15 minutes. we got to clean up the popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just, it's so confusingly paced. Yeah. Um, it obviously, it's a Hitchcock movie. This is very much like it's a Hitchcock thriller, right? Yeah. It has the form of one.
2: And I will say, you've talked about how, like, 90s, like, Grissom legal thrillers, like, this sort like of, my like, crack. Handsome yeah. are, like, Fucking your catnip. Yes. I feel the same way about, like, kind of, like, middling 70s, like, Hitchcock approximations. Yes, 100%. I get uh, that. Like this and, like, Silver Streak, <laughs> these weird movies that are, like, we're, like, trying to do Hitchcock, but, like, it's kind of more, like, family plot because now the 70s have become so shaggy right. that you can't do the Tight as a drum thriller anymore. It has to have a bunch of weird, like side tangents yeah. and like character riffs. I mean, this is that. I find them pleasant to watch, even when they're this sloppy. Yeah. I tell you what's
1: interesting about this one that that I, I thought sort of broke the mold a little bit is that, and and I don't know if this is like, I don't know anything about Demi's work, so maybe y'all can probably clue me in a bit better. But um, I don't feel like the aesthetics of this movie are doing anything to ratchet up the tension and in fact a lot of times i found the aesthetics of this film like very pleasing there's like weird just like pleasing views there's this one scene where he's meeting someone in front of like a a waterfall tunnel would be the best way i could describe it you know, after he gets the blank assignment thing and there's like this bizarre you remember the very early yeah. in the film. Um, there's a bit where like uh, he passes a guy who's like playing a song on on a ukulele. It's all like very – but it's very pleasant. It's like very pleasant to look at. It's very pleasant to listen to. And it doesn't do anything to sort of set you the viewer I, I on I think edge. that
2: is a Demi thing. Uh, I mean, I feel like he does try to make a cinematic world that is pleasant. Yeah. And there's a lot of sort of like he does things that are unrealistic because he wants to make a movie that's the world he wishes he could live in, right? Right. Especially in this comedy run, like he he goes between weird levels of realism and sort of like expressionism that are just like it would be nice if in the real life world like people treat each other like this right. or like dress like this or whatever. But but also that's like kind of the defining thing about Silence of the lambs is that like people think of it as one of the scariest movies ever made and he almost like aggressively eschews any traditional sort of cinematic language for a thriller or a horror movie. That – you know, everyone always talks about like the other Hopkins – Hannibal movies get it wrong because all of them try to look scary. And the thing that is scary about *Silence of the Lambs* is that everything is presented kind of in a banal way. What a perfect way! And he's using all the cinematic language that he had developed for comedies, <laughs> with the characters talking straight to the camera and all these weird things that shouldn't have worked. And he makes this one perfect thriller, like you know, eight years, nine years, ten years after he makes this middling thriller. Uh, 12 years I right yeah. Right. so it's like he makes this middling thriller yeah. then a decade later he makes one of the, the greatest thriller. thrillers of all time like yes. the perfect archetype yeah. mm-hmm. then he doesn't do that again he becomes kind of a drama guy yeah and then he like makes one final like thriller at near the end of his career yeah where he does a big remake of one of the most famous thrillers ever correct with like big movie stars yes and that's not really the like his zone that's not really his genre True. but within that it's like one weird commercial exercise one weird like him trying to get his feet as a filmmaker and then one perfect movie that everyone views as like the pinnacle of the art form in that genre right mm-hmm.
3: what a weird career weird career we're going to dig into it further
1: i'm not me I'll catch up. I'll catch you guys probably around.
2: You'll see us yeah, around so, Christmas. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, this next run is going to be great. These going to be a blast. But the '80s oh, oh, demi
3: I mean. comedies are sort of their own subgenre. Right. You're going to have a lot of fun, Ben. You're going to love them. Uh, that's enough about Last race I never want to speak of it again. No, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah, I don't God. care. God. Well,
1: it's not, it's, not it's not fine. It's It's pretty. It's a little it's rough. rough. Yeah. It's a rough one. And the bad, good news is you can't watch it. That's true. <laughs> it's unavailable. It is weirdly Blu-ray's. available on
2: Blu-ray, but not available to stream anywhere. Right. Uh, we had to find yeah. it through somewhat less legal means. Uh, not a thing I promote. Um, can we do the box office for seventy-seven, and 78? All right. 77 79. So, I'm sorry. 77
3: and no, 77. Let's do the box office. Yeah, I
2: have not, What would
3: be the top Number film? one film of this year was uh,
2: quite successful. It's quite successful. Um... Hmm, and what genre was it? we discussed it. it. Science fiction, it was fantasy. A science fiction, fantasy film from 1977. Not part of a franchise, right? It sort of launched a franchise. It launched a franchise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what? Like a, like two or three or this, I couldn't even tell you. Nine. There was a Seltzer guy.
3: Yeah, this Seltzer guy came close to this one. Ooh. Yeah, very close to so it. So both
2: Seltzer tested for this. Yeah, hairs yeah.
3: length away from the lead of this one.
2: Uh, Do Final you know Running?
3: Good movie. Eraserhead. <laughs> He was almost. I was almost eraser head. Twenty tens. A couple years later, <laughs> it, it didn't fit on my head. The eraser.
2: It wouldn't it's cast. Too wet. He had the Seltzer driven.
3: Will Seltzer looks like if they
1: did Eraserhead, the TV series for like six episodes. You get Will Seltzer. Right.
3: Yeah. It's like, and now he lives in Hawaii and solves crimes.
1: <laughs> exactly. Like the sequel to the Jerk. You know the TV sequel to the Jerk. The Jerk. The 2? Jerk. Right. Two.
2: Yeah. Do you know there's a jerk, comma, T-O-O? Yes. That's about another jerk. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen it. It's it not bad? Is it not bad? Um, the film.
1: Yeah, no, it's, I mean, no, sorry, it's bad, <laughs> but it's not bad. The film is called Star Wars.
2: Yeah. It is, it is a, a Star Wars movie. Yeah, it was a big hit. Big hit. Number two mm-hmm. at the box office, though. Smoking the Bandit? Correct. Wow.
3: 126 million
2: dollars. I knew that because I just find that really funny. Right, that those were the twin
3: prongs of pop culture at the time: and Star like Wars and Smokey and the. The Bandit.
2: only two movies to crack 100 million that year, right?
3: Uh, well, you or know, just number three. Number three is listed at over 100, but I think that may With include re-releases. as many re-releases. Yeah. It was another definitive <laughs> science fiction film.
2: I feel like that pairing covers all that. <laughs> yes, it does. Like, yes, correct. Your dad is either a Smokey fan or a Star Wars fan. Too. Right, it's one or the other. This is <laughs> right. this is the year that culture breaks in half (laughs) you know and up until this point every father would say Smokey and the Bandit is who you should aspire to be and now half the dads become Clint McElroy and raise their children in the house of Star Wars so, number
3: three, it's cr- crazy that they came out the same year as Star Wars.
2: It's another sci fi, but it's not Alien. Alien. No, that's 79. I know. It's going to come out. Of, blah, 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 blah. It's crazy that it also came out in 77. Mm-hmm. It, does it spawn sequels? No. No. It's a one off sci fi film yep. that came out the same year. And I believe was
3: also nominated for Best Picture.
2: It's, it's one of
3: my favorite Simpsons jokes. It's interesting. interesting.
2: It's one of your favorite Simpsons <laughs>
3: jokes. Mm-hmm. From a Treehouse oh, no, Horror weirdly, episode. Weirdly was not nominated for picture, was nominated for director.
2: Interesting. Yeah. And do, is there a full Treehouse of Horror parody of it or is it a standalone joke? It's, I think
3: it's made fun
0: of this movie a million times. It's yeah, one of the most famous it's movies. It's just ever like made. a. Yeah, I mean, they've probably done it many times. But it, there's this one moment that I always think about.
2: It's one of the most famous movies ever made? Yeah. Yeah. Do you got an idea what this is, Justin?
1: Uh, I do. I do. But I, I'm
2: a you guest. Do? I don't want to. Shoot. V- I want you to guess. I want you to guess. Is it Close Encounters? Correct. Oh, close Encounters are the third kind. Yes. Of course.
0: Yes. yes. Homer makes a house out of mashed potatoes. Yes, of course. And he yes. says, this is important.
2: Uh, <laughs> it is, I mean, you know, you know the, the famous story. I think it might have crossed $100 million when it came million. out. yeah. But uh, the famous story is that uh, Spielberg thought that Close Encounters was a disaster. Right. And Lucas thought that Star Wars was a disaster after both of them had put together their cuts. Right. And they uh, briefly considered uh, trading points on each other's movies. <laughs> right. well, and look, unfortunately, neither of them ever ended up making much money no. in,
3: the, in this no. business. No, yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, um, Stephen, who, what was the last? <laughs> Number four mm-hmm. is um, another cultural – Touchstone. I, I mean a very definitive movie, even though I feel like it doesn't get enough credit. People don't remember who directed it. It's really just famous for like its lead actor and its look and its soundtrack and stuff. But like it's a great movie. Um the Saturday Night Fever? Saturday Night Fever. Saga of just
2: depressed people in Bay Ridge dancing. Yeah. yeah. A very a very sad movie that great gets movie. reduced to like a uh, a sizzle reel. Right. That people and like parody. a BG soundtrack. Right. It's
3: like an R-rated, tough, like, fucking movie. Right. Who directed it?
2: Uh, John Battam? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Who's like a good director who doesn't quite get that, like, new Hollywood crown yeah. in the same way as some of his peers.
2: But was like a massive hit and was like a major Oscar film. Yeah. And, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, although I think it only got a couple Oscar nominations. It only got one Oscar nomination. It only got Best Actor?
3: Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, number five,
2: the big comedy of the year. I already referenced it on this episode the big comedy of the year that you already referenced on this episode correct not an
3: unwatchable movie definitely dated um, but I have seen it won won a
2: big Oscar it won a big Oscar a performance Oscar yep a supporting lead is it Goodbye Girl yes okay the Goodbye Girl yeah Richard
3: Dreyfuss it's a Neil Simon movie directed by Herbert Ross
2: Uh, fun movie they have to live together. Close Encounters and Goodbye Girl came out in the same... Dreyfus was killing it. man. It is insane how dominant Dreyfus Some was. Some other big movies then in
3: 77, you got A Bridge Too Far, the big war epic that was actually, I think, a disappointment because it didn't do well enough. Yeah. Richard Attenborough movie. You got The Deep, which is um, like a Jaws ripoff. Uh, Peter Yates movie. No, yes, no. Yes,
2: no. I'm just trying to get over the fact that there is literally a four-year span in which Richard Dreyfuss does American Graffiti, yes. Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third years. Kind. <laughs> yeah. It's 1973 to 1977. Well, sure, yeah. I want to you. No, encou- yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right.
3: Right. Yeah, and, and, then, and then happen. wins an Oscar
2: for a Goodbye Girl. And he's the youngest actor to ever win that Oscar. Uh, it, well, he's beaten by Adrian Brody. Yes, but at the time. At the time. And then uh, he looks like he's 55. Right. And then his career never, ever gets close to that ever again. Hard to get close to that. I had a driver's
1: ed teacher that um, showed us Mr. Holland's opus because everyone told him that he looked like Mr. Holland from the final (laughs) (laughs) scenes of the film. And it was the first time as growing up as a young person, I had a clear concept of someone who had given up and this man had given up. This man
2: was done. Professionally, this man had had checked out. Do any of you remember, they used to do, uh, on the Disney Channel, when the Disney Channel was a lot of, like, important family social value stuff, Right. they used to have a yearly award show for teachers, That sounds nice. where yes. it was, like, the National oh Teachers, teachers yeah. the awards. Sure. and, like, celebrities would go, like, they'd, like, walk out and they'd project a photo of their class photo and they'd be like, I remember when I first fell in love with science. I'm Matthew Broderick here to present the award for best science teacher of the year. Right. And uh, Disney uh, uh, had made Mr. Holland's Opus right. and was doing this award show, and uh, they play the entire trailer for Mr. Holland's Opus, not just during the broadcast, but in the auditorium where the award show is happening. And then they go, ladies and gentlemen, the star of Mr. Holland's Opus, Richard Dreyfus, and he comes out and he goes, Jesus Christ, look at me. Started making that film. I look 25. Now I look like the Monopoly man. Right. I have never forgotten that joke. It's a good joke, but it's also so weird that it is like Richard Dreyfuss was the youngest actor to win Best Actor. He looks old. Looked like a middle aged man. Exactly. Like the only time he looked young was American Graffiti. Yeah. And then he looks old. Yeah. And then he looks really old. Yeah. And then, like the first half of Mr. Helen's Opus, they're putting makeup on him to pretend that he's young. Right. And then the end, he looks like how he actually looks. And then he makes that movie, The Crew. Which was like four old mob guys, and it was Burt Reynolds and Seymour Cassell and Dennis Farina and Richard Dreyfus, and he was ten years younger than the rest of them.
3: But I mean, like, doesn't this guy look like a forty-eight-year-old academic? He's like twenty-nine in this poster. That's insane. Albert Finney is like that. Albert Albert Finney Finney is an old
1: face. A Scrooge musical called just called Scrooge that we watch every year, and he looks seventy. Years old in it. And, and he, he was, was 30, 13 years old. He, he was, yeah, he was
2: 34 years old. it's, yeah. it's wi- I mean, it's wild. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Some people. Some people.
3: Uh, other movies in the top. Ten: Spy Who Loved Me, the James Bond movie, mm-hmm. Annie Hall, uh, which is obviously the Best Picture winner. Oh, God, the um, George Burns. The original. Comedy, yes. All right. 1979, however, number one film of the year. The number one Best film picture winner.
2: of 1979. I feel like we've done this. Is Kramer versus Kramer? Yes. Have we done this? I don't know. We might have. Let's do it again anyway. Number two. Let's horror do movie. it again. Uh, uh, the Omen. Nope. Uh, Amityville Horror. Yeah. We have done this. I don't remember when. Number three. Big sequel. Number three is a big sequel. Huh. Huge se- sequel. A huge sequel. Is a Rocky two. Correct. Correct. Number
3: four. Big fucking masterpiece war movie. Number four, Apocalypse Now. Number five, the most stoned movie ever made. Number five is the
2: most stoned movie ever made? Yeah, that's my opinion. Up in smoke.
3: No, no, no. You're thinking inside the box. Think outside the box.
2: Think outside the box? It's yep. a, It's a movie for weed heads?
3: Yeah, but from the director of The Sound of Music and No Drugs Are Done. Oh, Star
2: movie. Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, this is, David's whole fucking take is that Star Trek The Motion Picture is the equivalent of a planetarium laser light show. Exactly. It fucking rules. Uh, then Alien
3: 10, The yeah. Jerk, Moonraker again, so another Bond movie, The Muppet Movie. That's yeah. the top 10. I
2: mean, that's maybe the best box office top 10 I've ever heard.
3: It's a pretty good top 10, actually. It's a that, good call. The
2: standard of quality in that top 10 is incredibly yeah. high.
3: Yeah. 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 You're right, because, like, yeah. the jerk, like, you yeah. know, there's, everything right. good. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Muppet movie, yeah. masterpiece. Jerk, masterpiece. Alien, masterpiece. Apocalypse Now, masterpiece. Okay, wait, hold
0: on. What, who am I? Who am I doing right now?
1: No one's going to hear it, though. I'm gonna have to. I want to pull this episode. I'm gonna have to keep this episode in my wallet and pull it out and show it to people to prove I was on the show. <laughs> hey, thank you. I like right under the wire. Yeah, I earned them. That's the important thing. I just want to say how much I appreciate your show. I was never a big movie person, and then after we had Griffin on the show. Uh I, I decided to give this show a shot and it has really given me a context to which I can like dig into movies. Like there the vast, vast, vast majority of movies y'all talk about I have not seen. So it has uh been a real education for me, and I just I think it's such a wonderful uh thing y'all are doing, and I'm so happy to uh be involved in some small way. That should have been your title for that mini series. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there okay, there so Ben stopped recording Are we recording again now? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: fuck, I must have hit like a button or Okay, something. Yeah.
2: so for the listener uh, Ben went to the bathroom and stopped recording And we spent four minutes saying very nice things to each <laughs> other
0: Fuck! I didn't mean to do it Fuck me I, I hit
1: fucking c um, oh, yeah. Oh yeah Oh wow you know, My nice things are, st- are still on my track So you can just play mine and then leave theirs like with silence afterwards. As if I said, I put my heart on my sleeve, and then they
2: just gave me nothing in return. (laughs) That would be, that's the the ideal. I mean, I think we got to do that, and I think much like Last Embrace, we should let that play out without context and only have the listener make sense of it once we get to this point where we explain what just happened. Ben has kicked the recording track in the nuts.
3: Ben looks... Real upset right ben now. Ben is truly hitting
0: himself ben, in the head with minutes. the microphone. Oh, I know. It's just, like, dumb. Yeah.
2: But for the listener, that's fun. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and you got to believe. I'll take it. We said some very nice things about Justin. Gave you comedy points. We gave him comedy points. You'll never know <laughs> how many we gave him, but you'll hear the joke that got the comedy points.
0: Fuck me. Wow. What a twist ending. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it was, it was good that I did that.
2: And Ben, <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: Justin, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Justin. Uh, it's been you're welcome back anytime. My, gen- my
2: brother, my brother, and me, The Mothership, one of the greatest podcasts of all time. Uh, Advice for the Modern Era. Uh, Adventure Zone, uh, which is now a series of successful books in addition to being one of the most successful podcasts uh, where you guys have uh, long-running D&D campaigns. And then you do uh, Sawbones with your wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, I
1: mean, my wife's a physician. It's a medical history show about weird ways we used to fix people.
2: So. Uh, all, all excellent shows. Um, uh, you, you, you're, you're the best in the biz. Oh, well, that's what it says on my business card. <laughs> uh, and then, I guess this episode's uh, coming out after the New York shows, but you guys are, are doing shows around. Uh, people people should look up dates and see when you're performing, Right. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. You're
1: doing shows we're, we're around. around. We're actually pretty well sold
3: out for the rest of the year. Okay, no, never mind. Doing,
1: um, uh, shows in, no, no, no. This, when did this come out?
3: Uh, this is going to come out in uh, early November.
2: Sorry, folks. Uh, you missed this year, or we'll catch you next year. Never mind. David, Ben, and I will be in the audience at a Brooklyn show that our audience will not have heard us talk ow, about ow, yet. Ow. Yeah, that'll be us. Because uh, this episode will come out uh, several uh, weeks elf. after it. Uh, okay. But yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you for, for being here, Justin. Yeah. My pleasure. Uh, and thank <laughs> <Set> me free. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Andrew Guda for our social media. Lane Montgomery for our theme song. Pat Rowlands and Joe Bowen for our artwork. Go to Blankies.Red.com for some real nerdy shit. Go to Patreon for blank check bonus features. Where I think we're, we're coming up on Infinity War now.
3: <laughs> we're almost <laughs> done <laughs> That's with right. the Marvel commentaries. Uh, we only coming have up on Endgame. Coming four up on Endgame. more left. Endgame in a couple days. Okay.
2: Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Um uh, so you that's what's say going on there. The we're we're in the end game now.
1: Now I still you know what? I have I have the because I am recording the call, I have the rough cut of the rough yeah. audio, Skype audio of your all's part for that episode. So you can reenact it. You can let's do a do live that. staging yeah. of your line. Yeah, that
3: sounds like a lot of work.
1: But yeah, let's do it.